0: This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Here we go. A Tuesday
1: kicks off the Sports Bash live. 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What it be, what it be. I'm your host, Mike Gill, Josh Henning, producing today's show. You out there. We've got stuff going on. We got hitting season, everybody. The month of June is here. Does it feel any different? Does it look any different? We'll discuss that coming up. Plus, our Flyers insider, Kevin Durso, the Flyers, it appears, are making a trade That could have some big, big ramifications. We got the details coming up in just a couple of moments here on the Sports Fast Live. Eagles OTAs continue football at four. How about this breaking news? The PGA Tour and Live Golf are merging. They're coming together. Can you imagine being a PGA golfer? And the live golfer took the money to go to live, and you blasted that guy. And now you're back on the same team. Ugh, not so good. Cam Rogers, Believe in Golf, coming up later on today to tell us how it all happened and why the PGA essentially caved to live. But a couple things to start with. It looks like the Flyers are making a trade And I know uh, the Flyers have done a lot of shakeup in the front office. Danny Briere, Keith Jones. And now it appears that the Flyers are changing the product on the ice. You know, a lot of players have been around this team for quite some time. And the results have been very similar. One of those guys is Ivan Provorov. Well, it looks like Provorov is on his way out. The interesting part is who is on the way in. Provorov looks like he's going to Columbus in a three-way deal, and Columbus gets a defenseman that they have been looking for. But what about the Flyers? Well, it appears that the Flyers, and this is where it gets interesting, because I think on the surface, people are going to be saying, huh, Why would the Flyers take on a goaltender? Well, that could possibly mean that we could be seeing the end of Carter Hart in Philadelphia. Sean Walker and Cal Peterson from the Kings. You know, Peterson at one point was the franchise goaltender for the LA Kings. Many people thought this guy would be kind of an untouchable type and all of a sudden signs a deal and he has not been very good. So what would the Flyers want with another goaltender who has a big contract and hasn't played very well? Well, that is the exact details that we're trying to iron out. So to do that, Kevin Durso, our Flyers insider, will join us in about a half an hour from now. You know, you take a look at what the Flyers are trying to do. They are really trying to upend this entire organization, and they're doing it with players – that are flyers, but they're not the Broad Street Bully flyers. They're not the flyers of the 70s. They are the flyers of the 90s. You know, Keith Jones, a popular media figure, had been doing some radio in Philadelphia. And of course, he was the analyst on NBC Sports Philadelphia. And he's still working this job uh, up to the Stanley Cup playoffs with TNT. And he is now the president of the Philadelphia Flyers. So the Flyers are trying to get a change both in the front office but also on the ice. And if you tell me today, listen, Elliot Freeman, this is where it gets a little weird. Elliot Freeman, who's a guy uh, who breaks a lot of hockey news, for those of you who are not hockey fans but just kind of keep your ear and eye on the Flyers, Elliot Freeman's a guy who breaks a lot of hockey news. So he tweets this out, and it's kind of like, wait, huh? And this was like maybe 20 minutes ago. He tweets, I'm on a plane, so not sure if the exact details, but a three-way deal with Columbus, Philadelphia, and L.A. is being worked on. I believe Provorov will end up in Columbus and Cal Peterson in Philly, not sure of all the pieces. Wait, what? So obviously... I text our Flyers insider, Kevin Durso. Now, Durso happens to be on vacation. You know, the Stanley Cup finals are going on. Last night, game two. Vegas wins 7-2, handily. And he says, all right, I'm doing a little digging, and I'll get back to you. Well, he is on vacation. He got back to me, and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get the details of this together. So... We have a situation where the Flyers make a deal. And I don't think anybody would be surprised if Ivan Provorov ends up someplace else. It's kind of one of those things where Provorov has been... I don't want to say a complete disappointment, but many people thought he would be that franchise blue liner that kind of changed the complexion of the defense for a franchise who had been pretty bad at that spot for a long, long time. In his rookie year, he was pretty good, and then he's progressively kind of just flatlined out. But to get the goaltender back in return, that's what we need to find out. What does that mean? Because Carter Hart is a guy who three years ago looked like he finally, the Flyers finally found their franchise-level goaltender, right? Then, remember, keep this in mind. When they brought Carter Hart up, you know, he was at a time where the team wasn't all that good. You remember the Flyers not too long ago, three seasons ago, were the uh, um, number one seed in the playoffs. Remember that? They were the number one seed. And then the next year... Carter Hart looked like he completely forgot how to play. And you're thinking, are you telling me another Philadelphia athlete just completely forgets how to play the sport that he was drafted to play? And then he's kind of got back on track a little bit. I would say that Hart has been very good, but not great. The team has been terrible. So I guess before we continue to pontificate more about this deal, which we're still trying to get a little bit of information on, we've got Durso coming up who can give us a little bit more explanation in just a little bit. So let's go with Durso. And now we've got some news out there that the Flyers are working on a deal involving Carter Hart. All right. So that's what we figured. And That news just kind of came across. This would further explain why the Flyers would go get Cal uh, Peterson in the Proveroff deal and Danny Briere. Boy, hey, you're hired. All right, my ink's not dry. Let me get on the phone. But we do have uh, a tweet now that says the Flyers are working on a deal involving Carter Hart. And, And listen, this isn't crazy because we heard Briere say about a week ago that he was listening to deals about Carter Hart. So to make the deal for Provorov, who while he's been disappointing, he's probably still a pretty good trade asset for this particular team. To get a goaltender back in return, you would think to yourself, why am I getting a goaltender back if I already have my best player on the team is a goaltender? So they had to have known and had to have gotten calls or be taking calls on Carter Hart to pull the trigger on a deal that would involve a goaltender coming back right off the bat, right? I mean, has to be. So we'll have Durso in about 20 minutes to kind of fill in the pieces uh, for us there. Obviously that just happened. And that is something that was not planned to start our show off today. A flyers trade uh, of that proportion. look, You put Provorov in that deal, and then Carter Hart's name gets mentioned. It is something that certainly we need to keep an eye on. Uh, But the deal is really, it's all over the place right now. And, again, it it, kind of inconspicuously started by the reporter saying, I'm on a plane and I don't have all the details, but here's a couple names for you. You're like, wait, what? So we'll let Durso do a little bit of digging, and we'll bring him on in 20 minutes from now. Okay, Flyers fans? because I'm intrigued by what Durso thinks about this whole thing. The front office changes, the direction of the franchise, what this offseason could look like now. That's one. Two, we have been one of the few people anywhere who have had a level head about the Philadelphia Phillies, right? Everybody, the Phillies stink, this team's horrible, they don't do this, they can't do that. And if you listen to this show, someone with a level head has been telling you it's not the end of the world. The team is going to be okay. They'll be fine. I'll see you in October. The Phillies are making the playoffs. Yes, they're not playing good baseball right now, and it's easy to dump on the team. What's not easy is to be the one person who actually steps out of the irrational box and looks at the team through the lens of how you should look at the team. I'm not sitting here saying that all of a sudden Trey Turner is going to go four for five with two home runs every night, but I did say yesterday, hit him in the four hole with Real Muto behind him, and that might be the thing that gets him jump-started. Real Muto had a couple good games. Hey, Trey Turner's struggling. Real Muto's starting to hit. Let's go after Turner. Eh, bad decision. Everybody complaining. Kyle Schwarber, why hit him lead off? Why hit him lead off? 8 runs one day, 11 runs the next. Two home runs one day. I think he walked 3 times last night. 2 or 3. Your lead off guy on base. Your lead off guy producing runs. Now you're middle of the lineup with Castellanos, Turner, Real Muto. Things starting to look a little different for this team. Should we be shocked? No. We would say what's taking so long. Yes. But anybody who thought that Trey Turner was going to hit 232 all season long. I mean, I know Philadelphia fans are irrational and negative for the most part, but if you thought Trey Turner was going to be sitting at 232 all season long, I really have to question some baseball acumen. Well, I'm not saying he's going to hit four for five with three runs scored and three ribbies and two home runs every single night. But if you put him in the position which he was last night with Real Muto, a hot hitter behind him, Turner got three pitches to hit last night, really four, and he clobbered two of the three. The first one he singled on, and then he absolutely crushed two home runs last night with perfect swings. You look at his swing and say, this guy's going to hit 300. Now, does that mean tonight he's going to go four for five with some more hits? I don't know. But it appears that Trey Turner can actually hit. Can you believe that? It looks like Trey Turner can actually hit. Why do they hit Kyle Schwarber in the leadoff hole? I don't know. They went to the World Series with him hitting leadoff last year. He's at the top of the lineup now. It's kind of been a recipe for them scoring some runs. He walked three times last night. So maybe Schwarber in the month of June, as he's done so often, is starting to see the ball a little bit better, starting to get better swings on the ball. He actually tried to steal a base last night too, which I thought was interesting, right? Was that last night or the night before? It was last night. He got thrown out, but he tried to steal a base last night. You know, we keep asking whether or not Schwarber's hurt, something wrong with his legs. Well, he took off last night and tried to steal a base. I thought that was kind of interesting. But the lineup last night, obviously, you know, you're facing Wentz, who stinks. Um, But the lineup did what you hoped it would do. Your leadoff man was on three times last night. Castellanos continuing to hit. Harper got going last night. Turner driving them in. There's Real Muto. That's what you're looking for. The middle of the lineup last night, the top one, two, three, four, five guys were on base how many times last night? Schwarber three, Castellanos three times. I think he had a walk in there too last night. Harper on base twice, Turner on base four times. Well, you know, he wasn't on base. He just ran around him twice. And then you had Real Muto with a hit and two ribbies last night. It's what the Phillies were built to do. Get the top of the lineup creating havoc. The problem is it's just not the way you envisioned it. You didn't envision Schwarber hitting leadoff. Because, yeah, he's not your leadoff hitter. But maybe he's the Phillies' leadoff hitter. And he was the Phillies' leadoff hitter that took you on a wild ride to the World Series. And just because he's not the guy that you remember hitting leadoff in 1985, that guy doesn't really exist. Right? There is no Ricky Henderson. You used to be able to go through the league and name leadoff hitters. You can't do that anymore. They don't exist. This is like the NBA, positionless basketball. That's essentially what baseball lineups have become. There's no prototypical leadoff hitter. It's just a guy that they think feels more comfortable in that spot. There's no point guards in the NBA. Yeah, there's a handful of them. Chris Paul, who's about 40. Most of these guys are positionless. So the Phillies, are they starting to heat up? Are they starting to turn the corner? We shall see. You got 11 runs one night, and you know what happens normally when you score 11. The next day you get two hit and you score nothing. Well, last night they got eight runs. They had 11 hits, and it was from the guys that you were expecting it to be from. Yeah, it's cute Drew Ellis story the day before. And of course Drew Ellis was 0 for 4 last night with three strikeouts. Welcome to the bigs. That's what happens. You hit two home runs one day, you go 0 for 4 the next. This isn't a surprise. What the surprise is is you score eleven runs one day, you come back and score eight the next, but you got it from the guys you signed to do it. Schwarber, you make money, gets on base three times. Castellanos, you make money, two hits. Harper makes more money than everybody. Two hits. Turner, three hundred million dollars, four for five, three uh two home runs, three runs scored, three RBI. Bang, there you go. They're the guys. This team has somehow won twenty-eight games when the guys have not been Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, Turner, Real Muto. The guys have too often been Ellis and Stott and Sosa and Clements. The fact that they have 28 wins and more of the 28 wins have become have been because of those guys than the first group of guys, that's what makes me feel pretty fine. And then the biggest of them all was the guy on the mound last night. Yeah, he gave up the home run, which is frustrating to Maton, who, by the way, Maton has been terrible this year. Maton's hitting 167. It seems like he feels like he's still on this Phillies team. Another guy who hasn't hit. He comes up and rips a three-run blast last night. And at that point, it's 5 nothing Phillies. And he hits that home run, and you're like, are you kidding me? Now it's 5-3, and of course he's throwing a no-no at the that time. But I had to like what I saw from Nola if I'm the Phillies last night. Seven innings, 12 strikeouts, although two of them came on the pitch clock. Right? Was it two that he had on the pitch clock last night? I think Nola struck out two guys because of the pitch clock violations. The 12 strikeouts were big. The one detraction I will take from Nola's night last night is he gives up that home run to make it 5-3. He also had three walks in the game, which is just very un-Nola-esque. So Nola throwing seven innings with 12 strikeouts last night. I think Trump's anything else that happened in the game. It's bigger than Turner going 4 for 5, it's bigger than Schwarber walking 3 times and, you know, getting on base. You need Nola. More than anything else, you need Nola. Turner, he's going to be fine. I mean, by the end of this year, this is how early we are in the season. This is how foolish people sound when they talk about a season. Oh my god, the Phillies stink. Trey Turner raises batting average nine points in one game last night. I mean, one game he went from 232 to 243. That's how early we are in the season, that you can move your batting average almost 10 points in one game. And that was Turner's night last night. So it was a good night for the Philz. They have another great opportunity to win this game tonight to make it four in a row. You know, it was at this point last year where they won nine straight. And I saw somebody talking about this on social media today. Hey, have the Phillies turned the corner? And somebody's reaction was they beat the Nationals and the Tigers. Well, they won nine straight last year against some bad teams. It doesn't matter if you win nine games against bad teams. You just need to start piling up wins. It doesn't matter who they come against. News flash. If you win 86 games and 86 wins come against bad baseball teams, 86 will probably say you're in the playoffs. They won nine in a row last year and those wins came against the Arizonas of the world, the Angels of the world. Yes, Detroit, who by the way, is right about where you are, 26 and 32, you're 28 and 32. So it's not like this Detroit team is Oakland. They've been kind of hanging around the middle. Now, I get it. I don't think Detroit's very good. In fact, I'm going to be pretty disappointed if they don't sweep this team. You know why? Because tonight you've got Walker and they've got some guy named Alexander. I think he invented the light bulb. So the Phillies need to sweep this Tigers team. It's time to start disposing of this type of team, getting your offense going. Nola got on board last night. Let's get Walker going today. We'll get you to lineup when it comes out in just a little bit. And I would imagine, all right, yesterday my lineup was pretty much right on the nose. I didn't realize they were going to sit Marsh, but I would imagine that. Let me just double check because they do have a left-handed pitcher, I believe. Yeah, Tyler Alexander is a lefty who, by the way, stinks. I mean, Tyler Alexander's a lefty and he stinks. I would imagine the lineup will look pretty similar today, except I would think Marsh will be back in the lineup today. Right? I would think that Marsh will be back in the lineup and Guthrie would be out. And then everything else I would imagine is the same. Probably Ellis at first. Um... Yeah, that's where that's where we would go. Ellis at first, instead of Guthrie in center, you would do uh, Marsh in center. So, I would imagine a similar lineup today. Now they could just say, "Hey, let's roll off the same exact lineup against another lefty, and see if we can, you know, get another day where we stack some runs together." Six oh nine four oh three oh nine seven three six oh nine four oh three oh nine seven three. That's the text message. Couple text messages coming in. Mike, I know I've been beating up on Turner contract, but I would be shocked if he didn't get back to two seventy five and at least twenty homers when the season's over. Cole from LBI. You are very within the your your um right to back the tor- the the contract. I mean three hundred million dollars for Turner is preposterous. It's it's ridiculous. But baseball not having a cap, I don't care what you pay the guy. It's not one of those things where it handcuffs you from doing things. Now, if you pay Trey Turner and this is the NBA and you're stuck with that contract in the cap, now I'm more critical of it. In this situation, do I think $300 million is fair for Turner? Not necessarily. I think he's probably um, way below that. But I would agree with you. He's at 24. You're saying 275. He's at 242 right now. I wouldn't be surprised if he even crept up to about 280. Uh, He's just that good of a hitter. So 20 home runs is aggressive. Uh, But I wouldn't be surprised if he got there right. Uh, Mike, you're going to need 11 runs tonight with Walker pitching at least. Eh, I don't agree with that. Um, When we talk about the Phillies, sum it up with one word, inconsistent. I do agree with that. Um, Yes, inconsistent is the word. Not surprising. You shouldn't be surprised. If you're using the word inconsistent, then don't be irrational because then you know goods and bad things are going to happen. You're saying the inconsistent, you're admitting it to yourself. So just before you become irrational with a crazy thought, just say, oh, it's all about expectations. What are your expectations? My expectations before the season was this season was not going to be a fun season. It was going to be a season filled with some bumpy rides. So therefore, I'm not surprised by what I'm seeing right now. Uh, Mike, you're probably right. The Phillies may turn it around and Turner may turn it around, but you're acting like it's guaranteed. It is possible that they can just have a very off year. That is possible. I would be shocked if Turner's off year was 232. I would say if he had an off year, it would probably be more 260, 255. And if, even if that's the case, he still has a little ways to get to that point. If you're telling me an off year is 232, look, Castellanos had an off year last year, and even he didn't hit like 230, right? What did Castellanos hit last year? And he had a down year last year, Castellanos. Coming off the year that he did the year before, I mean, Castellanos the year before hit 315 with 30 home runs. So you're damn right he had a down year last year. But even his down year last year, you know, he didn't hit, uh, you know, 210, 230, I mean Castiano's down year last year. He hit two sixty. I mean two sixty three is what he ended up hitting last year with thirteen home runs and sixty two RBI. Not good, but if you are saying that's your down year, Turner's hitting two thirty two. That's not a down year. That's atrocious. I mean, come on. Uh, but I I see what you are saying. But I appreciate the text message six hundred nine, four hundred three. 609 973 All right, that's how we start today. Little fills and little fly guys. I'm excited for the Flyers offseason. I'm interested to see how they put this team together. Actually, I'm more excited to see how they rip it apart and then put it back together because that's what needs to happen. And I think Grier is a smart guy. Jones, a very intriguing hire. What does Kevin Durso think? And what pieces of this trade puzzle has he put together? Well, we'll find out next. It looks like Provorov is heading to Columbus. It looks like the Flyers are going to have a goaltender change. And Hart could be on the way out. Yeah, if you're just tuning in, that could all be happening. we got the details next with our Flyers insider, Kevin Durso from 97.3ESPN.com. Coming up next.
0: Now, Backboard Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 232, our Flyers insider Kevin
1: Durso is going to give us all the latest on the Flyers right now over at 97.3ESPN.com. He has the updates on what the Flyers have done already today. Also hearing the Flyers are working on a deal that would involve Carter Hart. It looks like Ivan Provorov has been traded. Carter Hart, Provorov. What else do we know? Let's turn it to our Flyers insider, Kevin Durso, who, by the way, this happens from time to time. You're on vacation, and the big news happens. In the middle of the Stanley Cup Finals, Kevin Durso, the Flyers are moving and shaking. Last week, they made a lot of news by rehauling or overhauling, I guess you could say, their front office, Keith Jones, uh, Danny Briere, And now those guys are getting right to work. So tell us what we've learned over the last, you know, uh, 45 minutes or so.
2: So what we've learned so far, Ivan Provorov is definitely being traded. This is happening. It is not finalized yet in terms of all of the parts being out there, but Provorov is on the move. That is going to happen. Um, the next step is kind of figuring out what they get back. The reports are that they're going to get two players from the Los Angeles Kings in this deal. Sean Walker's a defenseman who's entering the final year of his contract. Cal Peterson's a goaltender who has two years left on his contract and kind of has a hefty salary. But those are the types of players that you take on when you're in the position the Flyers are. You don't mind having a bad contract for a bad season that's going to be ahead. And it's pretty clear the Flyers have made known they don't expect to be a competing team next year. And then Provorov would end up in Columbus as a result of this trade. The Kings would retain 30% of the salary. So by all accounts, the Flyers are going to have No attachments to Provarov at all after this trade happened. And there's also reports of at least one pick coming back in the trade. I saw something about a first and a second as well. The first would be from the Kings, and it would be in this year's draft. So the Flyers have found a way to get back into the first round of this year's draft, which is supposed to be a very deep first round. So. Having the seventh pick and L.A.'s pick would have been the 22nd, so having the 22nd as well is all really good parts. And then I guess the last piece of information that kind of comes from this is that there are reports that the Flyers are working on a trade that would involve Carter Hart, which kind of explains the addition of the goaltender from L.A. if that is to become confirmed that this is all exactly how these moving parts play out. But that is all the information on these, at least these two moves at the moment. And obviously – Two massive ones because these are probably, Provorov and Hart, are two of your most marketable players in terms of what you could get in return for what you're going for, and that's that's pretty big of uh, Briere to make this kind of statement really early on in his tenure.
1: Okay, so you just heard all the mapping of what's going on. Let's get the messaging. Provorov, obviously a young player at the time. Many people thought he was the next big defenseman. He was a draft choice, got off to a great start. Why is he included uh, as the first piece of this deal?
2: I think the, the big thing for Provov is that over the last several years, he's looked like a player that just needs to change his scenery for a variety of reasons. He had his best season in, in the year that ultimately ended in the bubble and played alongside Matt Niskanen, and it seemed like the Flyers had a, had a good partner for him. Everything was shaping up to be exactly the way you would want it to be for Provrov to continue and further his development. And as soon as Niskanen retired at the end of that season, he's been pretty well lost ever since. And the Flyers have been trying to figure out the best way to get somebody next to him that maximizes his performance. But when it really comes down to it, Provrov was a seventh overall pick. And the answer to the question shouldn't be who do, you know, the question you should be asking is not who should we get to maximize his performance. It should just be he can maximize his own performance and putting somebody else next to him. He should be able to maximize that player's performance as well, not the other way around. So ultimately, as as tensions got higher, I think you you noticed that he was one of those types of players that under John Tortorella was going to be taking some harsher criticism, and maybe that is part of making the changes. Tortorella only had one season to coach this team and to kind of figure out a lot of things. And now that you've got this whole new – Regime in place with Briere and Keith Jones and everybody who's kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together to figure out what the what the map is to getting this team back the right way. I think that when you look at what Provorov can be, he's obviously a big minutes eater. He has the potential to play on a top pairing, but is it going to work out here, or are you going to end up wasting the rest of his prime years, or can you trade him and get something big in return? I think that that's the messaging that. They're trying to get back a lot of draft capital and trying to figure out a way to rebuild this team the right way, not put band-aids on it, not try to find a piece in a trade that they think can help maximize pro performance and vice versa, literally taking one of the biggest defensive pieces they've got and finding a way to move them to get back the things they desperately need.
1: Okay. Uh Initially, the deal involves Cal Peterson, a goaltender, which obviously, you know, I said to you, Peterson's in the deal, which means they've got to do something with Hart, right? Why Hart? Why would they decide, hey, we f- after years, decades of looking for a goaltender, it seemed that they found one. So why are they willing to move on from Hart?
2: because the timeline is too long for him probably to really reach his point at his greatest point of success and the team's greatest point of success when your best player on the team. And I include this in last year when your best player on the team, is the goaltender, and there's still questions about that because of the fact that you're losing games the way that you are. And it, you know, 90% of that has to do with a lack of a support system. Carter Hart can be the best player on this team last year, this upcoming season, the year after, if you re sign him beyond that, because his contract's up after the upcoming season. He can be the best player on your team all those years, and he's not going to make you any better as a team by himself if there's no support system in front of him. To get that support system, they realize now as, as a franchise, they, and, and it took way too long to get here. I'll I'll say that right up front. It took way too long to get to this realization, but they are realizing it's going to take years of construction. And in that case, the best way to construct it is to go and get draft picks where you can. And if, you know, like like I said with Provrov, if Provrov can get you back into the first round of this year's draft, that's huge. That's why you make that trade. And similarly with Carter Hart, if he can get you something substantial – draft pick-wise, prospect-wise, so you have a shot at getting a, a young player. I mean, let, let's put it this way. One of the best players offensively on the team last season was Owen Tippett, and that's a piece they got back in the Claude Giroux trade. Those are also moves you have to consider when you have a player that other teams may indeed want. You have to trade those players if you want to get anything substantial in return for your future, not necessarily your present, and that's where the Flyers are. So that's that's why I my message to the whole thing was You know, if they were going to listen on Carter Hart and potentially take offers, I wouldn't be actively calling teams to make a trade because there's nothing wrong with keeping him either. But if you put it out there or at least you show a willingness to listen and a team offers you something that you find fair value in return and can get what you really want to move forward in this process, then you absolutely have to listen and you may want to pull the trigger on it. And It seems like the Flyers may at least be in those discussions where – something might be on the table right now that's worth their while, and that's why they're exploring it. So that's the way to go with it.
1: Well, let, let's ask this question then. Provorov, uh, he's gone. Hart sounds like he's following. Would you then anticipate hearing this on, you know, June the 6th, that this could be a complete overhaul this off season?
2: The only thing that's a little surprising about it is that they, you know, the new regime that got put into place over the last, course of the last couple of weeks, Breyer's talked about not necessarily having to tear it down to the studs and things like that. And I guess they're not doing that if you look at the forward group that they're trying to keep together a little bit, Noah Cates, Morgan Frost, Owen Tippett, guys like that. But that's only a small handful of players, and maybe those are the only handful. I mean, you're not going to trade every player in one offseason, but maybe there's a lot more to go in terms of what could be on the move at this point. If this is the starting point, I got to imagine, I mean, we've already discussed before about Kevin Hayes and what the potential of him being around would be and how the writing appears to be on the wall. You can look at Tony D'Angelo that way. You can look at a bunch of players and think what happens to, to their futures. And to be honest, I was a little surprised, not a little surprised, but I think it was going to be a surprise if they found a way to do all of these things in one shot. You know, That's why I was not certain about Carter Hart being traded or having an offer that would work for you in this time. There's just not, you know, you just don't make that many trades just because. There, there has to be a lot of work that goes in, and certainly the one thing the Flyers are showing, at least Danny Briere is showing, is there's a, a willingness to be creative here. There's a willingness to go the extra mile in trade conversations and to do what you can to get this in the right direction. This is not the same thing as major blockbusters where something big comes back in return. You're not taking on anything big in return other than draft picks. This is clear rebuilding moves here. This is very clear, and it's about time, honestly, because last off season we were we were having conversations, Mike, and talking about you know acquiring Tony D'Angelo and trading draft picks away and looking you know sign, maybe signing this guy or that guy or the possibility of signing Gaudreau and all that stuff like that. Those conversations are out the door with this front office right now. There's no big player signing or acquisition coming. Anytime soon in that regard, it's going to be about draft picks. It's going to be about development. This is what was talked about pretty much since Chuck Fletcher was fired. Yeah, And we're now finally able to see what, what basically what they well, mean let me, by the rebuilding. Let me
1: interject with this question. Our Flyers insider Kevin derso from 97.3 ESPN.com. So essentially last year was the year to be the worst team in the league. It seems that they are making deals to set themselves up to be a, a bad team, correct? A year too late? Absolutely.
2: Well, absolutely. And and that, you know, when when these moves came down, I mean, the front office
1: moves at this point, when
2: you hear how Danny Breer was talking and Keith Jones is talking and getting more than just that, because Tortorella was talking like that for a chunk of the season, but Chuck Fletcher was still the GM. You have ownership representation talking about a rebuild and a new era and all of that stuff. When that finally comes out and you're hearing those conversations, but it's, you know, it's basically post-draft lottery of the, the up, upcoming season and the upcoming draft where, yes, this was the year to do this, my, my response to that was is that, listen, you should be cautiously optimistic if you're a fan because finally everybody is speaking the same language. You don't have a coach telling you there's not even a foundation yet and a GM telling you you're five points out of a playoff spot. There, you don't have conflicting messages. But you also don't have the end result in terms of, like, there should be frustration because yeah. – you did it a year too late for this. You could have made this, uh, this change should have been made, or at least the GM change should have been made a year ago. And instead they gave Chuck Fletcher another shot. And obviously you've seen the way it can backfire and you see what Danny Briere is trying to do in terms of, they have no draft picks. They traded three draft picks away just to get D'Angelo last off season. And that looks like a total waste. And, now they're trying to recover from that. Briere has no choice but to try to recover from that and get back as many picks as possible, and it leaves you in the tough position of making decisions like the ones that are in front of them. It, you know, trading an Ivan Provorov, trading a Carter Hart, and seeing what you can get back in return while their value may be at the highest it's ever going to be while you have them. Carter Hart could go on to become. A really great goaltender in the league based on a trade that happens, if he, depending on where he goes and what kind of team he plays for. And Ivan Provov may rediscover that potential that everybody thought he had two, three years ago. But it wasn't going to happen here, and that's what puts you in the tough spot. You've got to make these decisions while the value is at their highest, and that's what Briere is looking
0: to do. So they have 7-22.
1: and um, you talk about how good this draft is. I think the casual hockey fan has kind of heard that. But if you have 7-22, and 22, can you even get more creative and do more?
2: I think it's possible. I think you can at least explore the possibility. I kind of wonder, what I would wonder is, is Danny Briere going to kind of look to hedge his bet a little bit here in terms of you could take a bigger gamble and try to package the two firsts and move up a little higher than 7 if you wanted to. You could also just try to hedge your bet and say we have two picks in this first round, which give us two shots at getting a really good player and developing a really good player. You can find really good talent in the 20s of the draft. Claude Giroux was a pick that was in the 20s. David Pasternak from Boston was a pick that was in the 20s. You can find that level of talent and get players who can become league-wide known names and be on your top line or on your top pairing or whatever. If you develop them properly, which is why last week was such a big deal, in terms of not just overhauling with Danny Briere and Keith Jones and what the front office structure is, but they also made a bunch of changes to their development staff, which I think is one of the weakest links in the front office and in the organization in terms of, you know, you don't hear for years and years and years you drafted really well and then all of these players don't work out in one way, shape or form you know sometimes it is injury but sometimes it's just they weren't developed properly and i think again finally the flyers have this realization something's not working they should be better than what they are based on how well all those drafts went according you know according to many people other scouts in the league would say that that they had really great drafts but then these players wouldn't pan out so maybe the goal here is with the second pick that they acquire is not to Acquire, you know, acquire a pick to eventually package it, but to have two shots and maybe getting two really good players. I mean, listen, if if they, I don't know how far this is going to go later in the off season. Everything is obviously on a table if you're starting with Provorov and Hart here. But you know, what happens if in another name that was constantly floated around in the off season? What happens if Travis Konechny is one of the next guys to get moved? And Konechny was picked in the first round of the same draft as Ivan Provorov, and they were picks seven and twenty-four. So now you have seven and twenty two and you had two players that obviously turned into something of value, maybe not to your own team over the course of the long haul, but to somebody else. So you can get players who the rest of the league can see a use for and can see a benefit of and, and would want to have from all over you know, from all over the first round if you develop them properly. Yeah. So That's why I wonder if they would just want to take the second pick at face value and say it's two shots at developing a really good player.
1: Uh, Our Flyers insider, Kevin Durso, we'll leave you with this. Uh, There are some reports that the Flyers are working on a Carter Hart trade. What kind of return would you anticipate for a player like Hart? It it
2: probably would have to be along the same lines as what you're working on for ProVrov. I I don't think it's going to be as much as what they're getting for ProVrov, but, you know, it's – it's still going to have to be something pretty significant because I don't I don't think they I don't think they would actually pull the trigger on a deal if they weren't getting back something that they felt was fair in return. I, again, I think that Briere kind of was cautious about that when discussing it and you know admitting we have to listen to everything. But I don't think that talking about it, he wanted to do anything like this. I think he wanted to believe that Carter Hart was the goaltender that could be here for the long haul and could actually be on the other side of this rebuild process. But but again, you have to think about what's beneficial now and what you can get at, at, at a player's highest value potentially. And if this is the highest value point that you're going to get, and certainly with Hart, I think that you're not, you know, not going to go much further than what you got last year with Hart if you're going to trade away pieces like Provorov. So this might very well be the time, and – you know, hopefully at the very least, another higher end pick, I would say a second would definitely be, you know, I, you'd love to get another first obviously, but if we're just talking about heart at face value and not, not with something else in the deal, or maybe a throw in from, an, from another team, like take away a bad contract or something that would maybe make the price tag a little bit better, but it's going to have to be something that's really worth their while. And, and, furthers the direction
1: that they want to go all right uh flyers trades we'll continue to keep our eyes see if carter hart gets moved today uh get back to your vacation kevin durso final hours of vacation and the flyers make a deal uh at kevin underscore Derso on twitter and you can read his story now at 97.3 espn.com thanks kevin Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. There he is, uh, Kevin Durso finishing up vacation. He flies out later tonight. He'll be home tomorrow, and if a Carter Hart deal happens, we'll have him back on tomorrow's show. Kevin Durso has the details of the trade at 97.3 ESPN.com. Mike Gill with you, and of course, the Flyers make that move. That doesn't mean other things aren't happening as well. Uh Around the Phillies, we'll have the Phillies mailbag coming up in about 10 minutes from now with Frank Close. Kia.
0: Now, more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader.
1: Uh, coming up at 3, is the Phillies' mailbag. Mike Gill with you, reminding you to get ready for the months of hot weather with my friends at Ambient Comfort Heating and Cooling Professionals and their $59 air conditioning system tune-up for new customers. Regular maintenance helps avoid costly repairs. It increases the life of your system, saves on energy costs, and keeps your family comfortable to clean and adjust your system. So it's safe and running at maximum efficiency, regardless of who originally installed it. And the first pound of R22 refrigerant is included if needed. Ambient comfort was just at my house. They arrived on time as scheduled, discovered my issue quickly, replaced the part they had with them right in the truck. No waiting around. And now my air conditioner is ready for the summer season. Glad I didn't wait till that 90 degree day to find out i had a problem when comfort matters choose ambient comfort and schedule your $59 ac tune up now visit ambientcomfortnj.com that's ambientcomfortnj.com or call 609-568-0955 and tell them mike gill from the sports bass sent you when we come back phillies finally convince you did they turn the corner by the way Frank Close, our Phillies Insider, will answer those questions. Matt, stick around.
0: This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Just
1: after three Sports Bass Live, 97.3 ESPN on your radio. Yes, the heat is on. The Flyers make a trade. The Phillies are starting to hit. No better time to answer your Phillies mailbag questions now. Frank Close, our Phillies insiders here from 97.3 ESPN.com. You know, somebody messaged in earlier. Uh, why do the Phillies have to fight to get in the playoffs every year? Why can't they just get over the hump like the Braves? You know, the Braves won the World Series in twenty twenty one. They were twenty nine and thirty one after sixty games. The Phillies are twenty eight and thirty two currently. Uh, are they turning the corner? Will they be like the twenty twenty one Braves? Frank Close is back with his weekly Phillies mailbag, and if you have a Phillies question. Send it to the text board now at 609-403-0973. Phils are hot all of a sudden, Frank. Three in a row, going for four tonight. Uh, Is there reason to believe that the month of June, when they were uh, 19-8 and last season in the month of June, is the month for the Phils?
3: I'm not sold on that being the month for the Phils. The Phillies cannot go on an extended run, in my opinion, like they did last year, without having a fifth starter. Now, they got through the last game. They won on the day after Zach Wheeler, unfortunately, did not give them a whole lot. But it makes it really hard to piece together a winning streak. So that really concerns me because it's not just the game itself, right? They got through one game, were able to win, but then the bullpen is taxed after that, and it can affect you for days to come. So that is not a winning formula. I think that will be the thing that keeps the Phillies from going on a winning streak like they did last year. And so I I think I would like personally to see a little bit more stability there in the starting rotation before I think they can start to make up some of that ground.
1: Yeah, some of the positives, though, let's take a look at three straight wins. Uh, They made that change to the lineup on Friday, right? They went with Schwarber at the top. Not well received by a lot of fans. But what, if anything, has that done for the lineup and for Schwarber? Well, (laughs) maybe mentally he thinks that June is his month.
3: And so... I suppose that helps. I think it also helps, as we'll see as one of the the questions is, from some guy named Pete Giordano. Maybe you've heard of him. Um, He asked, is this going to be the permanent thing? Well, I think what you need to do is see if it works. (laughs) I mean, even if it's a mental game where Schwarber all of a sudden feels like he's back in his comfortable spot, if it feels like something is different and he gets on a roll, if Trey Turner being a right-handed bat in the middle of the owner is going to get him on a roll, well, then you kind of got to ride it, I suppose. Uh, now, me personally, I don't love Sh- Kyle Schwarber batting first. I think he's too slow in the base pass. I think with the speed behind him, you want somebody to get on base that's going to be able to steal some bases, that's going to be able to run, that's going to be able to go from first to home on a double, not be sitting at third base, right, leaving some extra runners on base like the Phillies seem to do. To me, that 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 would be my rationale while not to do it, but if it's going to work, I think they're going to run with it. So if they keep winning games, I would expect to see some more of that.
1: Yeah, uh obviously the question is why uh is Schwarber back in the leadoff spot for good? And your answer seemingly is, well, if it works, they're going to keep him there. I guess the other thing is last year they kept him there. They went to the World Series, by the way, with him there. But they didn't really have another option. They've hit Stott there. Turner has hit leadoff a ton. And they didn't go to Turner again in this spot, in part because Turner has been struggling so much. So do they have another option this year, or is Schwarber the best option? Well, I I still like Trey Turner or Bryson Stott as
3: the best options, one and two, personally, uh, because they have that combination of speed and ability to get on base, high contact, usually, now Trey Turner's striking out more this year than he ever has, it seems. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but he's definitely beyond his most recent years. But I think Turner's somebody that that does well at first or second in the lineup. I think batting him fifth helps them temporarily. Alec Bohm is currently out. And so having an, another right-handed bat in the middle of the order there, since uh, you're not getting that production out of J.T. Romuto so much this year, although he has shown some signs in the recent few days that he's coming out of it, uh, I think it's just been helpful all around for this temporary basis, but yeah, I, I, you want your on base guys that make contact that walk and, and have some speed at the top. I for me that's that's some combination of Stott and Turner, but hey, if if they're winning, they're
1: winning. Uh, Frank Close, ninety seven three, The Phillies mailbag here. Let's let's look at Turner real quick. He hit five. Yesterday, lastly, was four four for five, two home runs, yada, yada. Obviously, he looked good last night. He was down to 232. He's now up to 243, uh, I think, is where he's at now. Is he another guy? I mean, historically, his best months are actually June, I mean, uh, August and September. So generally, he doesn't even get cooking until a little bit later in the year. Uh, Somebody texted in yesterday and suggested, look, this guy had two peak years at 28 and 29 years old that, even earlier in his career, he's not a $300 million player. Are we looking at a guy that really is just kind of overhyped? I don't know about that. If you look at what the best
3: free agents have gotten recently, I mean, I, put it this way, I'm more comfortable with him getting $300 million than the contract Dansby Swanson got with the Cubs, and I think Swanson is a big step down. But, you know, this was clearly a move designed to help the Phillies win these next few years and they're going to have to eat some money at the end a lot of these teams signing these massive 10 11 year deals they're going to eat some money at the end i think they know that going in so in a way yeah does he was he paid too much if you'd asked me a year ago what he would get i would i would have been shocked that he would get that many years uh, i thought he would get a lot of money that's for sure uh, but you know i think there'll be a time where there's a there's a day of reckoning for a lot of these deals i mean look at robinson Canoe was kind of the first of that batch and certainly we saw the Mets eat a couple of years out of that deal. I think that's going to be kind of the norm, but I think what teams are hoping is that the competitive balance tax numbers will rise and eating the money will be fine. So it gives you, it gives you an indication that revenues are a lot higher than these competitive tax balance, uh, competitive balance tax numbers are. And so I think teams are going to push, push those contracts to try to get under the limit, but know in their budgeting that they're going to eat some of it later. So. Yeah, I I, I suppose that would be uh, an overpay in some respects. But at the end of the day, get the player and try to win when you can. I think that's what the Phillies are trying to do right now. All
1: right. Uh, Let's um, take a look at some of the other questions that came in for you this week. Uh, Greg's question is simple. How is this team as bad (laughs) as they are? They're 28 and thirty two, which uh, has them right about five hundred at this point. Uh, they are a little bit uh, below five hundred, and, and in the standings, by the way, they are four out of a wild card berth, and they are seven and a half out of the division race. Yeah. So, Greg asked that question a few days ago before they won a
3: few few more games. But there are some, there are three clear reasons. If you ask me, why the Phillies have have been underperforming, the first is the injuries that the Phillies have had. Losing Reese Hoskins at the end of the spring when everybody has their roster all set and everybody thinks that they're ready to go, that was a big blow to this team. Now, of course, Derek Hall was supposed to be the, the fill-in and finally get an opportunity, and, and he immediately got hurt. But but more than being in that lineup and producing particular numbers, there's a couple things that he gives you that are a little bit more intangible. First would be his pitch selection. If you look at the number of pitches he sees, even when he's in one of his his trademark slumps that 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 Reese Hoskins has been in over the years he can still see 10 11 pitches and one at bat and that of course in today's world is 10 percent of a pitcher's entire pitch count for the day right so uh, that's helped the Phillies kind of whittle away at the starting pitcher a little bit more so that was helpful and also he was a leader on this Phillies team right he's the team's union rep and and also a leader in the clubhouse so when you take that out and a lot of the guys that are the veteran guys, the Schwabers, the Castellanos, the Turners, they're still kind of new, so maybe it's a little bit different for them to be able to step up. And, and certainly he has earned that respect by being the longest-tenured offensive Philly. So um, taking that out of the equation definitely put the Phillies behind where they were last year. Now, second thing, some players just simply have to play better. J.T. Realmuto needs to play better. Uh, Kyle Schwaber needs to play better. Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler need to play better. Now we can get it. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about why they might not be playing as well, particularly the pitchers and the new pitch clock and what that might do to their game. But at the end of the day, they're expected to be two top starters, and they have not been top starters at times. You know, Zach Wheeler, it looked like he was turning the corner at that brilliant start against the Braves, and then he gives you a clunker the other day, and there's a bullpen game the next day, and then the, the, the results of that could have been much more disastrous than they were trying to, to fill that many innings from the bullpen in two games. And then the third thing, of course, is starting pitching in general because the Phillies were planning their fifth spot to be some combination of Bailey Falter, Andrew Painter, Christopher Sanchez, Michael Plasmeyer, Nick Nelson. All those options did not work out. So <laughs> they have no fifth starter. And, you know, they're kind of living very dangerously right now. Ranger Suarez is still kind of working his way back. He looked pretty good the other day, gave him seven. But... You know, he's still coming back. And guess what? They're they're living very dangerously because if, if, God forbid, somebody else gets hurt, even if it's a minor injury that has them miss a start or something like that, the Phillies are going to be in a really tough spot in that fifth spot. And so, as I was saying earlier, it's really hard to get on a roll when every five days you don't know who's going to pitch. And, yeah, you could piece it together, but then your bullpen's tired for three, four days after that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, there's – listen – uh, that fifth spot in the lot, in the rotation has been a disaster, but I think what you you know uh, mapped out at the front there. Uh, if I'm going to have a season where I'm depending on Schwarber and Turner and Real Muto to some extent has not been very good as of recent, he got hot the last couple days, and they're not going to perform, then my expectations are not going to be the same. You know, if you told me Trey Turner's going to hit 240 this year. Well, then my answer is going to be, well, then this Phillies team is not going to be very good. You told me Kyle is going to hit 160 all season. Well, then my answer is this team's not going to be very good. Last night's an indication. They scored eight runs because the top of their lineup produced, the bottom of the lineup essentially gave them nothing. But the guys who you expect to produce, produced yesterday. They produced the day before. Now you had two home runs from Ellis, uh, which you're not expecting. But to, to get on a streak and get moving... You need the top of the lineup, guys—the guys you're paying a big money to—to to start moving, and that hasn't happened all year. I would ask you, Frank, for them to be 28 and 32 with what they've gone through, is actually somewhat of a success.
3: Yeah, I'd say so. Look, that that fifth spot in the rotation—if they—if that fifth spot had been 500 this year, I, I forget the exact numbers with the latest with the latest win that they actually got on the fifth fifth starter day, uh, they they would be over 500. <laughs> so. You'd feel a lot better about them if you had just a mediocre fifth starter. So I think of all the positions, that's a high impact position that they can hopefully try to fill this year somehow, some way. But but those other guys just their their struggles are exacerbated by the fact that here they sit below the five hundred mark in the month of June.
1: Yeah, I mean it doesn't help too. You know, a guy like Falter who's been terrible they got two runs a game for the guy. You know, it doesn't help when your fifth starter you know is going to be a guy who gives up four to five runs and you're only scoring two runs. Uh, You know, you take a look at the, the starting rotation... Um, you know, Suarez, it seems, do you think, you know, has kind of got his legs under him a little bit and and, and is starting to take off? His last two starts have been pretty good. Wheeler, completely disappointing the other night. Uh, if he's going to be four and four, 500 pitcher, you're not going to be pretty good. You're not going to be very good. Nola, five and four. Uh, you know, if those guys are going to be around 500, you're probably not going to be very good.
3: Yeah, you don't know, and of of Wheeler and Nola, you haven't known who you're going to get night to night. Yeah. So, Nola
1: came up big this time. And The time guy tonight too, by the way. The guy tonight, they, they they paid him to be an upgrade over what they had and he has not been.
3: Yeah, that basically he was he was the uh, Gibson replacement and Gibson has certainly outpitched him this year for the, for the Orioles and that's not saying a whole whole lot. So, uh yeah, he only went four innings last time and you wondered if he was hurt, but no, he was just not pitching well. That's why he got pulled. So, yeah. they got to give him he's got to get them some innings tonight, especially against the Detroit Tigers offense, which is not that strong. Well,
1: put it this way: Walker is a five six five ERA and a one forty five WHIP. Falter is a five thirteen ERA and a one forty four WHIP. Falter's better ERA and WHIP than Walker is. That's how bad Walker has been. Yeah, he has
3: he has not given them much for their investment, and it's a big one. He's got three more years on his deal after this. So, having flashbacks at times of Adam Eaton, who couldn't really make it through year two of his three year deal. Now they've <laughs> the Phillies ate one year for plus for Adam Eaton. I don't know that they would eat too too many for for Walker, but you've seen some flashes from Walker, like he
1: he could help them, but then he immediately uh, <laughs> regresses, and mm-hmm. it's been a little frustrating. Frank Close, ninety seven three ESPN. Uh, you know, the last question is, what is the purpose of a Josh Harrison on this roster right now?
3: Yeah, so it's really in relation to Drew Ellis and why Drew Ellis is getting the playing time. I think, uh, you know, we're seeing with Josh Harrison, you got to you got to ask the question, is, is, is this the end of his baseball career or is he just a little slow? Now, the Phillies had him in camp in 2020 and opted to let him go. And he actually put together three nice seasons. The first year with the with the Nationals, and then a trade deadline trade to the to the uh, Athletics, and then with the Chicago White Sox, who signed him as a starting second baseman two years ago. Uh, now he's he's kind of scuffling along and and hitting two oh six on the year, just one walk out of that, one home run. And so I think what we're seeing right now is now that Drew Ellis is up, uh, the Phillies are going to see what Drew Ellis has because I think we're we've seen enough of Josh Harrison right now. To know that he's not hitting a whole lot this year. Uh, you know, one of the games is one of the games, nicest guys, big part of that Pittsburgh Pirates team that won 97 and 98 games alongside Andrew McCutcheon, his good friend. And you know, he's the kind of guy that's so likable in MLB, but he's just not giving them a whole lot. I think there's a hesitancy to cut somebody like that. And, uh, but I think the Phillies, if they're going to bring Drew Ellis up, that certainly they you know, got a little hot there, had a couple home runs. I think they want to see what they have. And so they would play him over Harrison, but, at the end of the day, Harrison's kind of buried behind uh, Edmundo Sosa at third base when they they want a right-handed third baseman, and Bryson Stott's been pretty good. So they haven't played uh, any type of platoon at second base. So so there really hasn't been a spot for him to get a lot of at bats. That said, he's kind of living on the edge of this roster right now. So you know you see Derek Hall is now A in a in a rehab assignment. That somebody's gonna have to give up a roster spot to him. Christian Pache is coming back. Now, Dalton Guthrie is somebody else who might be on that bubble, but um, but we'll see. I mean, he, he's somebody that, that could get squeezed. Um, Drew Ellis does have a minor league option left so that uh, they can send him to AAA if they would like. But there's also the 40-man roster considerations. You're going to need a spot for Derek Hall before he comes back onto the 40-man roster.
1: Yeah, and then uh, Bohm when he returns too, I guess uh, they're, they're, you got to figure out what – you know boom uh ultimately you're going to keep playing him at first base and bouncing him back and forth or do you want him just to stick at first base i guess that decision will have to be made as well tom's got an interesting question uh and it involves aaron nola his contract uh not re-signed yet so by july 31st would you trade aaron nola uh or risk him walking and getting nothing well, I think I think the Phillies are not going to be in a
3: situation where they are that far out. Now, I, think, I will say this: since I take questions all week, this question came before the last few wins. So, when the Philly, you're feeling a lot worse about the Phillies, right? But that's the thing: you've felt up and down a lot about this Phillies team. I don't see this Phillies team as being one that's going to be so far out of it on July 31st that they're going to be sellers. So, I think that they're more likely to look to add somebody to be another starter in that rotation. And I think the value that that they would get back would not be worth them kind of waving the white flag on the season, which is what you're doing if you trade Aaron Nola. So and now if you come back to me on July 28th and the Phillies are 12 games under 500, well, then maybe if, maybe you think that way. But I think the talent on this team, as much as the, all the aforementioned players that we've talked about have struggled this year offensively and in the pitching department, they're still good enough in their worst days that they're going to hang in on, into this race. And if you're hanging around 500, you're very much in the race on July 31st. So I can't see a scenario in which he's traded. They would have to really have the bottom fall out of this team and be be 12, 14 games under 500. I just don't see that happening.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, You know, the whole Nola, you know, I don't know what they look at him in the future as this season. If you were saying, I got to sign this guy long-term based on this year, uh, you know, He probably doesn't have his best negotiating tool. Now, his resume, he probably would get number two or three starter money. But as the age goes up, and this year not so good, I don't know who has the upper hand in the negotiation. I would feel like the Phillies do with this year being your most recent but they're going to say, hey, over time, we've been your most consistent or longest termed uh, starter. So this one's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how this one all plays out.
3: And, and just remember, Mike, Taiwan Walker got $18 million a year times four. So what's Aaron Nola going to get? Somebody, the pitching is so scarce, somebody will give him boatloads of money. If the Phillies don't feel comfortable doing it, somebody
1: will, and they'll get a draft pick for it. That's true. Uh, the Walker deal, if I'm Aaron I got a big smile. And <laughs> Walker's not been so good this year either. Um, all right. Uh, well, trade deadline will be something we'll be keeping an eye on. Phil's tonight. Uh, Tyler Alexander pitching for Detroit and Taiwan Walker for the Phillies. Uh, is that lineup that uh, they released the lineup yet? I know that, um, yes, the lineup yes, just I came out. out. In fact, as I'm I said talking. it, uh, Schwarber, it's Castellanos, down, yeah. <laughs> Harper, Turner, Real Muto, Stott, Marsh, Ellis, Clemens. So. Uh, there are a little couple tweaks, uh, you know, because there is a lefty pitching tonight. I thought maybe you would see a similar lineup to last night, but Sosa is out. Ellis is at third. Clements is at first. So Ellis goes from first over to third. Sosa out of the lineup. So they are going with the two lefties, Stott Marsh in the, in the lineup and then Clements in the nine. so you got Swarber lefty, Harper lefty, Stott lefty, Marsh lefty, Clements lefty. Five lefties in the lineup tonight facing a left-handed pitcher, Frank.
3: Yeah, you know it's it's not always lefty righty stuff. I, I will say he is much better. Uh, Alexander is much better against righties, but uh, this is a guy with a 80 ERA. I don't think they're worried so so much about him facing these particular lefties. And, and and by the way, if you if you want the opportunity to see what somebody can do against a lefty like the Marshes of the world and the Clemens of the world, which by the way, Clemens is another potential roster decision in the next couple of weeks. It'd be good to see them take some at bats against a lefty. I would not expect that Alexander goes deep into this game by, by any means. Uh, his last seven games he has not started, so he's he's been mostly a reliever. He will not go deep in this game. The bullpen will will face those lefties, and they don't have a lot of lefties in their bullpen either.
1: Okay, that is your Philly starting lineup tonight, brought to you by Clark's Moving and Storage of Rio Grande. Schwarber, Castellanos, Harper, Turner, Romuto, Stott, Marsh, Ellis, Clemens, Walker gets the start. On the mound, Frank Close, our Phillies insider from 97.3 ESPN.com. Uh, by the way, any update on uh, Jose Alvarado? Oh, he should, he he is his return
3: is imminent. You you could see him potentially this weekend. So things are looking good with Jose Alvarado. He should get some work in at AAA or AA. I guess it depends on the schedule who's who's around, and uh, you could be seeing Jose Alvarado back with the Phillies perhaps uh, perhaps next weekend. So. Uh, th- That'd be a nice relief uh, for this Phillies team, especially with this bullpen as taxed as it is.
1: Yeah, and uh, Dodgers in town this weekend, so uh, Phils need gotta get. I think uh, you gotta sweep this Tigers team to get the momentum. You got Dodgers coming up. Uh, see if they can go five and one in this little six game streak uh, stretch against Washington and Detroit. All right, Frank. Closest Phillies mailbag will be open again on Tuesday, right here on the Sports Bash. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Mike. And Frank Close, of course, every Tuesday has the Phillies mailbag for you here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN and your Phillies lineup, as we told you. Uh, I I figured they would have a very similar lineup to last night with um, Marsh back in, though. Uh, I figured that would be the change. Guthrie would be out, Marsh would be in, but they're going to keep – Ellis in the lineup, which we thought because there's a left-handed pitcher. But he's going to third base tonight. Clemens is in. And Sosa is out. So there's another change for the fills tonight. Uh, Jalen Hurts on the field having a catch with Rob Thompson tonight before the game. Taiwan Walker is your starting pitcher tonight. Now, coming up on the other side, the PGA Tour. And live golf have merged. And people aren't happy. Cam Rogers, believe in the golf, analyst. Sounds like the PGA has some explaining to do to its players. How did this all occur? Is this good? Or will we start to see some ramifications from the PGA players now? It's a story that everybody is talking about. We're going to get the latest from Cam Rogers coming up next on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN.
0: Now, Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader.
1: 3.30, Cam Rogers from Believe is here. And obviously, uh, big news today in the golf world. The PGA Tour Live Golf a merger. I would imagine everything is all peachy keen now, right? Probably not. Uh, the merger, it's a new entity. We'll see what uh, how they break this all down. What does Cam Rogers think? He's been covering the golf game for quite a long time. And there's no better person to give us some thoughts on how this might look and what this means for the game of golf as Cam Rogers joins me right now to break it all down on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN. Welcome back, friend. How are you? what's going on great to be with you sir nothing
4: has happened today right
1: not much not much uh wow did this uh is this something you ever envisioned uh happening down the road as far as uh, like a two years later i mean uh was this just out of right field or is this something you thought was a possibility
4: I really did not think it was a possibility, but shame on me for actually believing whatever the heck Jay Monahan was saying three hundred and sixty-five days ago. In fact, back in back in October of twenty twenty-two, this guy was saying that there was no shot for Live and the PGA tour to merge, combine, unite in any way, shape, or form. And here we are on June sixth of twenty twenty three talking about the PGA Tour, the World Tour, the DP World Tour, that is formerly the European Tour, and the Live Tour, all merging together to create one new golf entity. And I got to tell you, you look at the words that Jay Monahan said 365 days ago, you never have to apologize for playing on the PGA Tour. He said in a lawsuit against the LIV Tour, the Saudi government was sports-washing. So what changed, Mike? money and that's the end of it right there
3: yes
1: uh so money 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 seems to be it jay monahan his group didn't have the money the live side all those golfers left got the money got criticized for it how do the pga golfers feel right now
4: well i'll tell you what we've got a meeting in about a half hour with Jay Monahan up there at the RBC Canadian Open and the PGA Tour golfers who are playing up there, and I am going to project that it is going to be a prickly meeting at best. I feel like a lot of golfers right now, especially the Rorys, the Tigers of the world, feel slighted because not that money is a thing for any of those guys, especially Tiger who turned down nearly a billion dollars, But they decided to reject that money and stay with the PGA Tour because they thought that was good for the game of golf, and they thought that Jay Monahan wasn't going to jump ship in any way. And obviously, if you go off of what Jay was saying publicly, why would you think he would do anything else? So those guys in particular are extremely mad because you know they were torch holders of the PGA Tour and going out publicly and saying that Liv is just, you know, not good whatsoever for the game of golf. And then you have guys who are struggling on the PGA tour to keep their tour cards and yet still stayed on the tour, did not go to live, decided to fight tooth and nail, if you will, to move up the ranks and get the, keep their tour cards, get their tour cards, what have you. Uh, whereas they could have left for live, cashed out, and then came back. So there's two different ways to look at it, but, in the end, these PGA Tour golfers are certainly annoying.
1: So what happens now? I mean, Liv got a TV contract with the CW. wasn't going so well. Their guys are on that tour. The PGA guys are over here. They were kind of banned from the PGA. I mean, this is immediately remerge and they're back on the tours. I mean, what happens with all the? T- what happens now? I know. That's
4: such a great question, because the details are very minimal. I mean, you go to the PGA Tour website, and the press release is very small. It's hilarious that Jay Monaghan calls Live now a groundbreaking tour. Like, the 180 that this guy has pulled is amazing. But to answer your question, I don't think we see any structural change until – 2024 right so, so January, like the
0: so the live
1: has uh, the, the the live tour has events still planned and cw yes. is their broadcast partner do they fulfill that for the year and then next season it, it, it kicks in or do they immediately start to kind of remorph
4: no i think they're all going to operate individually for the rest of 2023 that's my understanding from okay. my research and conversation so Things will remain status quo here as we wrap up the calendar year, and then things are going to have to change. Obviously, TV deals will change. We're going to have a new name for this tour. We, by the way, have Tiger Woods' new, you know, virtual gaming league that's going to start in 2024 too. So a lot of things happening there. So yeah, so, real
1: quick, real quick, Cam, you just said yeah. they're going to. So the the PGA Tour is now done as we know it. That is
4: kind of how I'm interpreting this storyline. Yeah, I think Liv is done. I think the PGA Tour is done. And that means we have a whole new umbrella, a whole new name. I could be completely wrong. Uh-huh. Uh Maybe there's something in the fine print where Jay was able to keep the PGA Tour branding. But, like, how does that all work, right? Does that mean Brooks is now a PGA Tour golfer? and? Does the PIF allow that? Do they want that branding? I'm not exactly sure as far as what the contract looks like. My guess would be, though, Liv is gone in 2024. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but the PGA Tour is gone in 2024, and we have a whole new name.
1: Is Jay Monahan involved still, or how does he show face?
4: He will be the CEO. So he is head of the board and all that good stuff. But
1: so he's he making more deal. money than everybody now.
4: He's a big winner, and of course he cut the deal. And get this, he will be reporting to the governor of the public investment fund, of course, backed by the Saudi government. That's a little scary. <laughs> the biggest golf league in the world now is going to be backed by the Saudis and not the United States.
1: Think about that. Uh, I mean, I guess this would be obviously pure speculation, but, you know, you got some big names that you just said that stayed on the PGA side that probably feel slighted. Do you see a scenario where they try to break off and say, we got, you know, completely sideswiped here. The heck with you. I can't work for any of you entities.
4: 100%. I mean, I thought about that actually before this call because a lot of these guys don't need the money anymore. They just want the competition, and they don't want the political baggage that goes along with it. And so the perfect remedy for that, see you later. Rory gets out. You know, I am 100% confident Tiger Woods is not going to be a part of this, Mike. A, the injuries and what have you, and B, he doesn't want anything to do with any of this in general. He'll play the majors. He'll do his golf league in 24. But, yeah, I think that a lot of guys could be having some backdoor conversations right now. Finding investors, I mean, it's a little early for anything Mm. like that, but we could be heading in that direction. So we thought that maybe today was a unifying day for the world of golf. It could actually have the exact opposite effect.
1: Yeah. Uh, Live is somewhat of a different format, Uh, 54 holes, no cuts, a lot more payouts, kind of a team-oriented thing. Yep. is that catching on do they keep that is that completely gone i know you don't know the answers to this yet but i mean could you do you envision a new <laughs> that golf on a on a weekend on CBS will have a completely different look or any other yeah. channel by the way
4: I don't know actually who's going to pick up the uh, tv rights and that's actually a good point there we'll see what happens in 24 but my understanding is they do want to incorporate the team formatting So I think that'll be interesting to see as we go forward and how the draft works and what have you. But, yeah, so that's Liv's footprint in all of this is bringing over that team aspect. And there's some buzz that these events are going to get cut down to 54 holes, just like Liv. So that's another Liv thing that could carry over here. What does that mean for the official World Golf rankings, by the way? That's another conversation to be had. It's all messy. It's all muddy right now. How about this? Brandel Chambly, who has been a fierce critic of the Live Tour, said it may be the most disappointing day in golf's history. He said that
1: moments ago. How about that? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you were somebody, Jay Monahan and others who were staunchly against this, I mean, they have, you know, video, obviously, as everybody sees Jay on television with Jim Nance. I mean – Uh, you've got this thing to be the worst of the worst. And if you went in that direction, you were essentially turning your back on on 9-11 families. And the same guy has come out and formed a partnership with it. I mean, it just is the most, one of the most hypocritical things I think I've ever seen in the history of sport. We usually see this
4: stuff with politicians and here we are seeing it in sports too. And it's just like, Really incredible stuff, and Jay Monahan is going to have to answer a whole lot of questions at some point. Obviously, he's going to answer to some of them with the PGA Tour players in some 20 minutes from now, but I also mean the media as well. The media is going to come after him hard, and he better have a good PR team huddled up around him right now going through the potential questions that he's going to have to field. Because he
1: better be good with those answers. Ken Rogers is with us, uh, covers golf for Believe and does a lot for Believe. Um, I, I, <laughs> what is Liv getting out of this other than, I mean, did they just go into a situation where it wasn't working out the way they thought? I, I mean, why did they want to get into this partnership?
4: Legitimacy. That's all that Liv really wanted. They wanted to be on par with the PGA tour. That was their goal. Maybe they did not expect it to happen this quickly, but when they have the amount of money that they have, Mike, everybody's got a price and Jay Monahan clearly had a price and here we are. So that's sort of what Liv's goal was power, legitimacy and what have you, the PGA tour. It makes me wonder if they were losing out on dollars. I mean, no Tiger Woods likely for the rest of our lives as far as a full schedule is concerned. So that's going to hurt your revenue. Uh, They tried things with the elevated events, but some players were still skipping them and getting fined for them. They were okay with that. So, you know, things maybe that the PGA Tour implemented to change the scheduling and what have you maybe didn't help to the degree that they thought it would and so Jay Monahan finally just kind of leveled with himself and said, okay, it's time to pony up and have conversations with Liz. By the way, he did all of these negotiations without really talking to anybody over at the PGA Tour in terms of leadership, just a few people, and certainly not the players. This was very back channel.
1: Yeah, I mean, from what I – and obviously this happened early, to, you know, this afternoon, from what I kind of gather and you kind of hinted on earlier, Cam – is the players had no clue. And some of the TV partners didn't even have a clue that this was coming down.
4: Right. So you've got a lot of red tape to sort of go through at this juncture. I mean, you have to have conversations with, obviously, the CW, CBS, <laughs> NBC, TNT. How does this all work? I mean, there's just no way any of this could happen in 23. That's why I was saying earlier that 2024 is the earliest that possible right. because – you just got so much to work through right now and branding and naming and what have you. So, you know, we've got some time to sort of work this all through, but I'll tell you what, I can't imagine the amount of group chats that are going on with PGA tour golfers right now, just their sheer, uh, you know, just surprise of where we are at this juncture in the game of golf. And a lot of them again are really mad because probably they could have cashed out on Live and then moseyed on back yeah. and played on the PGA Tour. So Tours. what are the
1: Live golfers, those guys, are, are they being penalized or is that all going away? It's all going away. None of that matters. It's all
4: good. You can look the other way. What Live Tour? It's all fine. It's all happy. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, if you're Brooks Kepka, I think you're the ultimate winner, right? You cash out on Live. You win a major championship as a suspended member of the PGA Tour. So take that, Jay Monahan. Oh, by the way, you get to come back to the PGA Tours. It's like absolutely wild stuff. And uh, this is going to be a story to follow for the next few months, honestly.
1: And obviously that leads into next weekend's U.S. Open. So, I mean, this is not going to be something that just kind of fades away. You know, it happens today. You got the Canadian this weekend. And then next week, boom, you're in L.A. for the U.S. Open. What I would imagine, you will have record media out there. You've got
4: Hollywood. You've got our nation's championship. You've got this story right now. And again, a collection of live guys will be playing at the U.S. Open too. put that all together. The content just writes itself. It's going to be a busy week for me, Mike, as you can imagine. There's so much going on. And again, it may not be Jay Monahan who's there at that tournament, but the head of the USGA and the leadership there are going to have to answer some questions about this, and they better be prepared as well. Now, they weren't a part of this as far as the negotiations, but they're still going to get asked about it, so we
1: shall see. Cam Rogers, uh, obviously on a um, – you you mentioned – who said that this was the maybe the worst day in the history of the sport? Brandel Chambly. Yeah, geez, so keep this in mind. Uh Liv is done. PGA is done. We don't know what the new name will be. They'll finish out the year, but golf has just been spun up on its head. What an interesting story. Cam, thanks for breaking it down, man. Thanks, Mike. Be well, my friend. You do the same. Cam Rogers from Believe. Uh He has covered the golf game for Believe uh for quite some time and, of course, broke it all down. There's not a lot of great answers right now because everybody was left in the dark on this, but if you are – uh, a fan of theater, you've got it with this story with the Liv Golf and the PGA who have been battling over the last year. And now, out of nowhere, they have merged back together. Kumbaya. Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Coming up, the Sixers have a three-year window to win with Joel Embiid, says one writer. So does that mean... That James Harden coming back is the only option. We'll dive into that coming up next, plus football at four with Jeff Mosher and more coming up on the Sports Bash live on 973
0: ESPN. Now Bash on 973 ESPN. Uh,
1: the trade is official. The Flyers official Twitter account has tweeted out the following. Flyers participate in a three-team trade with Columbus and L.A. The Kings. The Flyers have acquired goaltender Cal Peterson defenseman Sean Walker. A second-round pick in the draft. They also get a first-round pick in this year's draft. The second-round pick is in next year's draft. They'll get another second-round pick in next year's draft. In exchange for Ivan Provorov, they also get a prospect from the Kings. That is the trade. So the Flyers get... A first-round pick, number 22 overall in this year's draft, which means they now have number 7 and number 22. They'll get a second-round pick from L.A. in next year's draft. A second-round pick from Columbus in next year's draft. Peterson, Walker, and a prospect. In return, Columbus gets Ivan Provorov. Uh, L.A. gets a couple of guys as well, but the Flyers part of it is Provorov to Columbus. Three picks and three players for Ivan Provorov. And there is some talk that the next guy on the move could be Carter Hart. My question, and and, and I asked this to Durso, but I would ask, you know, the people out there listening and, and you, Josh, if you traded Ivan Provorov, got three picks and three players, what are you getting for Carter Hart? More.
5: That's what you're getting.
1: You would hope, right? I mean, my, look – Ivan Proveroff. or something at least on par, if not more, like definitively more, something in the same ballpark.
5: To me, Provorov is a good defenseman, not great. Carter Hart is not even in his prime yet, and you could argue he's one of the twelve best goaltenders, not the ten best goaltenders in the NHL. And the frustrating part for Flyer fans, you know, if you are watching the Stanley Cup Finals, you see in the Stanley Cup Finals two former Flyers. On a team in the Stanley Cup final. And now you're talking about trading away Carter Hart, who will probably end up leading a team to a Stanley Cup final before you get there.
1: Yeah. Uh, we asked about why you finally got your goaltender. Why would you move on from? And, you know, really the explanation is look, you have an asset that is not, it's like a, it's like a baseball team who's bad and has the best closer.
5: Right. Well, it's like, you know, when you, in the 90s, when the Phillies trade away Kurt Schilling, it was like, well, why would you trade away Schilling? I was like, well, because, He's your best chance at getting anything to improve this team. And Kurt Schilling went on the win two World Series after he left
1: the Phillies. Well, the Flyers today, Provorov. I think Provorov was here for seven years. I mean, so... Um... It has been a while for Provorov. It's not one of these guys that they just gave up on after three. Seven years, I think it's a pretty good sample size. Now, he's still a young player, uh, but he just never turned into – I mean, many people thought Ivan Provorov was going to be a star, was going to be a difference-making player, and that just never turned out – it panned out. Um, You know, I thought Durso broke it down pretty good. You know, after that bubble year, he just was not the same player when the pairings just kept changing from him. Right. What's his name's uh, memory? Uh, his name's escaping me. Niskanen, just, Niskanen retired uh, just abruptly, and they just could not find a pairing for Provorov, and he just turned into just an average man And the Flyers getting a haul for a player like that—they get the pick this year, two next year, a, a first and two seconds for Provorov plus three players. One of them is Cal Peterson, who is a goaltender, which means I would expect a Carter Hart trade. This off season, if not pretty quickly.
5: It's just a shame that it had to play out this way. That the organization couldn't find a way.
1: But it dumped it, the whole thing dumpster fire. Um Dershow, our conversation with him earlier, he's right. The fact that they allowed who was the GM at that Chuck uh, Fletcher. Right? Fletcher, I'm all fired out right now. They allowed Fletcher to make the decisions last offseason and enter the season in charge. Disgraceful. This stuff all could have been laid the groundwork last offseason. Football at four is next. 97.3
0: ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four.
1: Football at 4 is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. No, Adam Kaplan is not here today. It's Jeff Mosher. We'll pinch it today as he joins us on another edition of football at 4 Eagles OTAs, although. Jalen Hurts is over at Citizens Bank Park throwing touchdown passes, having a catch with Rob Thompson over there before the Phillies and Tigers game today. But Jeff Mosher is here. I know that uh, a lot of people talking about Jalen Hurts, uh, because, uh, you know, it's that time of the year where everybody's doing their rankings. Last year, Jalen Hurts was in the conversation for not being ranked. Now he's, uh, number seven by, uh, Chris Sims who got criticized for his ranking last year, Mosher. I don't think it really matters where Chris Sims puts Jalen Hurts on any list there, but entering this season, it seems like the the Eagles have uh, a quarterback that they now believe in a lot more than they did at this time last year.
6: Oh, 100% uh, and it's not even a question about belief, now it's a question about being that guy year in, year out, when the target's on you, when the schedule changes, and he won't have to deal with this this year, but, you know, moving forward, the personnel around him Will change. In fact, he will have to deal with this a little bit up front with the new right guard situation. But for the most part, the Eagles will be very stellar on the offensive line. The only thing that would really uh, force that test on him, Mike, would be if there was rampant injuries that forced a lot of different guys in spots that he hasn't played with yet. But um, yeah, you know, we Adam and I did a, a podcast, I think about a week or two ago where we talked about players we felt who were under the microscope the most. Eagles players going into 2023, and Jalen Hurts was was one of mine for a different reason than last year. It's it's now you're on the other side. Now you've made that money, right? Now I think you and I talked about the whole Joel Embiid effect. The first three years, Joel Embiid could do no wrong. Everybody loved him. It didn't matter what kind of shape the team was in because the team was on the way up. He was on the way up, and he was out there balling with people in Center City, and he was a man of the people. And Jalen Hurts has that similar kind of Love from the city right now and everybody thinks he's great and how wonderful it is to have him. But now he just signed the big bucks paycheck. Right. And any kind of regression or not as good of a year uh, as last year. And certainly people are going to bring that up. You lose two games in a row. Oh, He's not playing as well. He's making all that money. So there's there's a lot on his shoulders.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that's the thing, is Jalen Hurts, uh everything changes for him now. And by all accounts, this first week of OTA, these new guys that are around him are all kind of recognizing not only, A, man, this
6: guy's the real deal, it appears that he's actually gotten better. Yeah, certainly he's gotten better. Yeah, year after year. And, um you know, I did see something that la- It's funny. I, I saw something uh, on Twitter yesterday. I don't remember it, one of those kind of metrics or stats-driven uh, Twitter accounts, websites. And he was one of the – Jalen Hurts was probably the quarterback who checked it down the least last year, I believe, among all starting quarterbacks with a certain number of attempts. Mm-hmm. And that, that shouldn't be looked at as a knock because why check it down when you're completing 68% of your passes to guys like A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard and Devontae Smith? There's no reason to check it down. But, again, this year – new schedule, different teams, you have better pass catching uh, running back in DeAndre Swift, Kenneth Gainwell will certainly get uh, uh, at least the opportunity to see more time. And if there's a part of his game that can probably grow, it's that when the defense is doing everything it can to take your vertical threats away and giving you those voided zones on the right and left side, it's not necessarily, I don't call it a check down, it's knowing that the area is there for your running backs where you can hit them quickly and let them get, More yards, you see some of the best, whether it's Brady or Rodgers or, you know, Drew Brees was excellent with Kamara uh, doing that. That's an area of his game. Well,
1: why do you, why do you, like, we, I've had this discussion a lot with others. Uh, I don't know about you so much. Why do you think the Eagles don't use the running backs in the short passing game? Is it, because Hurts' propensity to take off and run himself, like, why throw it to you? I'm just going to take off myself. Is it not a part of their play package? Do they not design it that way? You know, we've also often wondered why don't they get the running backs more involved in the pass game?
6: Is that just by design? Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's, it was a combination of a few things. I mean, they did throw, I felt like they threw screens last year, but most of them were to Dallas Goddard and occasionally Quez Watkins. It seemed they felt more comfortable with the tight end and the wide receiver screen than the running back screen, which told me they just didn't trust Miles Sanders to catch the ball as much. And then when Kenneth Gainwell was in, they kind of used Kenneth Gainwell as a third-down back with a not-traditional third-round back role uh, role, because he would get it some other times. But he was certainly their two-minute back, right? Um, And so he was a guy who... They did try to get the ball to him at times. You remember he had a couple of drops. One of, I think he had two drops that led to interceptions last year and he got off to a really rough start, uh, last year, the first six or seven games. So I think it's something that they tried to do, but then it just became not as necessary in the offense with how prolific they were able to be downfield at the time. There were certain games, Mike, where you remember that Pittsburgh game where it was like Hurts would just throw the ball up and guys were coming down with it left and right. And there was a, it's funny, when when Goddard got hurt, right, he missed, like, four or five games. There was a stretch there coming out of the bye where they were just lighting teams up, just putting the ball down the field. Pittsburgh, Tennessee, all those games. Yeah, well, you know, you could bring in a guy like DeAndre Swift
1: in the first thing. This is This guy catches the ball out of the backfield, does big, you mm-hmm. know. And then the other side would say, well, the Eagles don't throw the ball to their backs. And you wonder if Brian Johnson's going to try to do more to get those backs involved, or is that kind of, you know, because what did Nick Sirianni basically, you know, hey, now that he signed this contract, we're not going to change this game. We're going to have him do what he does. Um, And what he does is not throw the ball to the, the, you know, so is it him not throwing the ball to the backs? Is that him or is that their offense, a combination?
6: I guess we'll we'll really find that out because, as you said, DeAndre Swift can catch the ball pretty well. So with him and Gainwell, certainly Jalen Hurts has probably his best sortman of pass catching running backs that he's had since he's been here, I don't think Nick Sirianni was saying we didn't pay him to to change his game because the they you know that's a weapon uh, a running back who can catch the ball. There's no doubt about it, uh, and checking it down can get you a lot of yards based on what the defensive look is going to be, yeah. and the defensive look could change a lot. And Nick Sirianni did say if you're just staying the same every year, you're in trouble. You got to change, you got to adapt, you got to evolve. So there's it's just so few things that you can think of that really need a true evolution or adaptation from last year because they were such a well-oiled machine, but that's kind of the glaring area where they they could be better.
1: Well, and that's one thing we kept, you know, you know waiting like, hey, they got to get the backs more involved. They got to get the back out of the backfield a little bit more involved. We never really saw that materialize and then you wonder is that just something that Hertz says, I don't need to throw the ball to you. I'll keep it myself and, and, and I'll pick up the 15 yards. And that's what makes him, you know, such a a dynamic weapon as well. Uh, Obviously, now with Swift, uh, Penny, you've got a different assortment of backs than you did last year where Miles Sanders had a majority, I don't want to say majority, but I mean, majority of the, of the time on the field. And he's not a guy that it seemed they ever trusted catching the ball out of the backfield.
6: Miles Sanders? Yes. Yeah, and the, that net, net was clear. And obviously in the Super Bowl, you know, and, and there was even a game leading, I was at Chicago, I can't remember, late in the season, where they tried to, you know, throw it to him in the flat real quick. And it was, just didn't work out well. He lost his handle on the ball. Just, it wasn't Miles Sanders' thing. It's kind of strange because he never caught the ball much at Penn State. And then when he came to the Eagles as a rookie, Doug Peterson found some way to use him in the passing game that, that he unlocked, which is really those, you know, h scene passes where he goes right down the down the right or left hash and, and catches the ball. And it almost felt like, wow, the Peterson regime really got something out of Miles Sanders that nobody knew he could do. But then, you know, year two, he started dropping some passes. It was a terrible year in general. And then, you know, that regime ended and, and the new one started.
1: Uh, Jeff Bosher Football Four, Inside the Birds podcast. Yeah, you know, I'm interested to see – if Brian Johnson kind of uh, adds that element, because really, that would be a completion. I mean, they can run the ball because of the offensive line very well. Now I just say because of the offensive line. Their offensive line is very good. Their running backs seemingly are, you should be excited about the potential of the backs because of their talents, but also because this offensive line is really good. You've got a really good pass-catching tight end, and you obviously have a good mm-hmm. pass game just adding that element to your offense would be kind of (laughs) making this a three-prong, a four-prong offense, almost. Tight end, receivers, running game, and then if your backs can also catch the ball out of the backfield, you're just adding another uh, prong to this offense. So that will be an interesting development uh, offensively. Uh, Jordan Davis said, you know, he knows that the Eagles are asking more from him and that he's ready for that. I'm kind of interested to get your take on on how that, how do you see that grouping? Because really the only guy who's seemingly left in the role that he had last year was Fletcher Cox. Hargrave's gone. Sue's gone. Joseph is gone. So how do you see this tackle? Uh, he's saying they're expecting more of me. How do you see the tackle position kind of playing out right now?
6: Well, I see it as a position that has, it's long on name and, and draft stock but also full of question marks. I mean, obviously, Jordan Davis, to go from a player who played maybe, what, 10 snaps a game when when he was healthy last year to, I don't know, what what the expectation that he would be able to play this year. Is it 30 snaps a game? Is it 35? I mean, that's still 50% of a game, right? Um, Which would be a huge jump for him and be the most snaps that he's ever played. And to do that, he would have to be I, uh, you know, so much more conditioned this year than last year, which I'm sure he's worked on all off season and we've gotten great reports about him being in good shape and his weight is right. And that's half the battle right there. But y- you, you and I know as well as anyone, until you get out there and start doing it day after day, right? Um, that's when we'll become believers that he can play that position. And he, he, he even acknowledged that himself. He has to go out there and do that. So I
1: guess with a new coordinator, it might be hard to answer this, but we think the coordinator might have a lot of the same looks. Mm -hmm. Is Jordan Davis essentially replacing Joseph? Do they want him to kind of have that type of role in this defense?
6: Of course. I mean, Jordan Davis is about as archetype as a nose tackle as there is. He's 340 pounds, 300, you know, or, or around there. Um, he is a physical he's just a, a complete um, unbelievable athlete, right? So maybe maybe I'm sure when the Eagles drafted him and they looked three years down the road, they felt that that athleticism would translate to him moving in a say a four-man rush to the three technique position which a Fletcher Cox would player or a Javon Hargrave would play and be able to if not like rush the passer the way those guys do, at least be able to collapse a pocket so that guys like Reddick and Cox and Graham and whoever could feast on a one-on-one matchup. I'm sure that's what they imagined. They got nothing close to that last year, but I don't know if they expected even year one for him to be able to do that. But that's part of the two kind of pronged role that he's got to But He's got to be the natural nose tackle in a five-man front that they drafted him to be, and then it would be quite nice – if he was also able to play a little bit of a three technique and a pass rush.
1: Okay, so right now, with the guys they have on this roster, do they have, who is the guy who's Javon Hargrave? Who are they looking to give that type of... That
6: would be Jalen Carter. Okay, so he gets a lot...
1: I don't know what the snap breakdown is for a player like Hargrave, but they think he's out there playing that, that position, essentially.
6: Yeah, I mean, I'm, you know... Again, a lot of a lot of discovery they hope, here. They hope, they another hope. Another guy who by the way did not play a ton of snaps at Georgia, so you wonder how how much he he's conditioned to play at the NFL, but that's why they have Milton Williams and Cantavis Street also. Um and but here's another thing. Like I think that he can be I don't he's not a carbon copy of Javon Hargrave. In fact, he may not get as many sacks as Hargrave, but he may be better he should be better against the run than Hargrave was. Um, we'll have to see what kind of upfield burst he's really bringing I mean, he had a great upfield burst in, in college, so it wouldn't shock me if he reaches potential, and he was a double-digit sack guy who also played. Like, like what Fletcher Cox used to be, you know, five, or six years ago, a guy who can line up, help you stop the run, but stays on the field in the pass rush and helps you rush the passer yeah. as well. That That's ideally what Jalen Carter becomes at his best.
1: Right. It is, and, and I say – they're not asking him to be a carbon copy of Hargrave, but just who has that role. So essentially you mm-hmm. might be looking at Fletcher Davis Carter as the Fletcher Joseph Hargrave. Yes. Yeah.
6: A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, that's what the ideally, that's how you draw it up. I still find it fascinating that there's no backup Jordan Davis right now. I mean, Noah Ellis is, is there competing? He's a 350 pound space Clogger, um, and maybe you know he can make the team. I doubt it because of just how much depth the Eagles have. How much five man fronts do you
1: play? In, in, you know what I'm saying? Like, do they? Well, is that, that going to be was their
6: base defense? Right. I would That's say, is that going to be the base defense? Yeah. Base it, defense. it has been for two years now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That 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 will be. Um, you know, I think it was Nick Morrow who was talking maybe today or yesterday who was saying how prepared that he's never been around a coordinator so far who has put them in so many situational things at this stage of where they are in camp. Like, very impressed with the way this defense looks. But I'm interested to see situationally is a five-man front the way they go like they have the last couple of years. Because everybody keeps comparing their
6: defense to what they had because
1: they have similar
6: concepts. Yeah, and and it's become so commonplace now in the NFL to see these teams that are playing these Fangio style defenses. I mean, it's got to be at least fifty to sixty percent of the league that's playing some kind of variation of a five man front and then going to a four man front in pass rush. So much that in a, in the next podcast, Adam and I are going to do where we do the where we draft the NFC East defense. You know how we just did the offense? Yep. I am div- I, I don't have, you know, a long time ago you would do defensive tackle, defensive end, linebacker, cornerback, safety, right? Well, I'm dividing it here just for my own, you know, just to get my names ready into edge, interior defensive line, stack linebacker, which is like a coverage linebacker like N'Kobe or TJ Edwards was, right? Not like Hassan Redick, who is technically a linebacker, but falls under the edge category. right? Um, cornerback, nickel, Safety because so what is, nickel. What is Brandon? Is now, Gra- what is Brandon Graham? I have Brandon Graham as an edge. So I, an edge is either and sweat, to me
1: real quick. A, and, and sweat, an edge, an edge. So Sweat's an edge. Sweat's an, and edge. Graham, an edge. So
6: there's no more defensive ends. Well, correct. But I mean, I, I would say there's two types of edge or defensive ends. There's the there's the Josh Sweat who plays a lot with his hand in the dirt. He also stands up. But then there's Hassan Reddick who's considered a linebacker, but really is a stand up rusher who will occasionally drop back you will very 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 infrequently see brandon graham and josh sweat drop into coverage you may see him stand up but they're not going to drop into coverage that much but you'll see them rush the passer from the edge so edge defender right now is the most i would say um diverse of the group because they all do a little bit different things but they line up on the edges yeah um milton williams is is a what he is a three-technique interior defensive line. He is a backup Fletcher Cox.
1: All right, because I have high expectations for him.
0: Well,
6: he's a short-armed guy, so um, they always, when they drafted him, knew that he'd probably be a rotational defensive end. But the Eagles have done really well throughout their – and so have other teams. But um, just with re- having really good rotational interior rusher, going back to like when Darren Howard, when they signed him in 2006 or seven. As in, you know, he used to be a defensive end with the Saints. Mm-hmm. And they just moved him inside in the pass rush. He didn't start because they had Trent Cole and they had Javon Kurse, I think, at the time. Or, or maybe Juquay Parker or whatever. And they, they would just move him inside and have him rush. Through. And he got 10 sacks. As mostly an interior,
1: yeah. Well, last year Williams, I think, had four sacks in Mm -hmm. you know twenty percent of the snaps. If his snaps even doubled to thirty, you know forty percent, does he get himself up to eight to nine? You know, so I I think he's one of them guys who just has. You know, just has he's a tough guy to define what he is, and that also makes you a tough
6: guy to block sometimes. Sure, remember Derek Landry He had a couple of good years in the wide nine as a as a as a reserve defensive tackle who would come in and give you a nice little upfield burst.
1: Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to uh, that position, the tackles in which we talked about, because a lot of young talent and older talent. It's a veteran young mix. It's a really you know Williams is now going into his third year you got the two guys uh, obviously carter a rookie second year guy davis williams a third year guy and then you have the older guy so that's a really interesting position uh on how they're going to break all that down uh jeff mosher football at four inside the birds.com a quick pinch hit and uh just like that man we just talked football for 20 minutes how about it
6: that's better than talking about all the money and the greed going on today. Money, <laughs> greed,
1: trades, trade turner, homers, man. Come on. Everything's happening right now. It's, it a, it's a hot Good time. Day.
7: Uh, inside <laughs> the right, birds.com
1: yeah. and the inside the birds podcast, Jeff Mosher, football at four here on the sports bash live 97 3 ESPN. You know, we could pull eagle conversation and go and go and go. There's so much more on that conversation that I'd like to get into. Including, you know, he talked about Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to talk more football with Jeff Kerr, who's been at the camp. I want to see who he thinks has kind of jumped off the page in terms of being there. But... Crossing Broad, my buddy Kevin Kincaid did the 25 best athletes in Philadelphia right now. I didn't even read the list. I haven't looked at it yet. So I'm going to try. I did my own and see how many match up with his. But Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, Fletcher Cox. How many Eagles are on the 25 right now? I put my list together already. I did it this morning. I didn't look at Kevin's yet. So I'm going to see how many. Now, knowing Kevin, he probably has some union guys on there, and I couldn't name a union guy. So I know I'm going to probably get at least one or two wrong. Provov's got to be off the list because he just got traded. <laughs> More details on that coming up. we got sound of the day. Uh, Jeff Kerr tonight at 5 o'clock. And then 25 best athletes, top athletes, however you want to categorize it. Um, from the, um, Crossing Broad guys coming up at 5 30 tonight on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN.
0: Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN.
1: 428 sound of the day. We'll get to that in just a second. First, I want to tell you about my friends down in North Wildwood at Trio. We're just having a conversation with somebody in the office today. They said they're heading down there for dinner as well. They asked me my recommendations, and I said, "Well, I got the pork chop. I know the meatloaf is backed by popular demand. I like the monkfish deep meal because, as I told you before." Very few restaurants in the area have a dinner that has andouille sausage. I'm a huge fan of andouille. So if you can get that very Cajun spice flavor to it, but very, very good. Excellent. Great desserts. I love the pizza. If you're going for a little laid back meal to BYOB, Trio North Wildwood, 700 New Jersey Avenue. Tell Chef Gus, I said, what's up, man? Uh, fantastic night for dinner for two big party. Sit outside. They have table seating. Thirty-six seats down on the uh, outside of Trio North Wildwood, great spot, and uh, I look forward to getting back down there this summer. As we had a fantastic meal there just a couple of weeks ago. Trio North Wildwood, seven hundred New Jersey Avenue. Got sound of the day. Josh Henning is my producer. Flyers make a big trade. Phillies have won three in a row. Um, you know, I got this text message earlier. Regarding the Phillies says my problem with the Phillies is another year of fighting to get in the playoffs the last week of the season again. Why can't they get over the hump and get to the Braves level of consistency where 95 wins in a guaranteed playoff spot? Um What did that get the Braves last year? Not to the World Series. A loss to the Phillies. That's what it got them. 95 wins, breezing into the playoffs. Got them a loss to the Phillies. By the way, same thing for the Mets. The Mets breezed into the playoffs and that got them a loss to the Padres. The Braves won the World Series in 2021. Guess what? That year, they didn't breeze into the playoffs. After 60 games, the Braves in 2021, well, they were 29 and 31. The Phillies right now are 28 and 32. Kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of in vogue to not have uh, the 100-win team right now. They don't seem to win.
5: I just would ask people, and I, I asked the same question this weekend to Billy Schwime in the locker room in on the 97.3 ESB, and I said, what's more important, winning games in May or competing for a World Series? If your goal is to be the Seattle Mariners of 20 years ago and win 118 games... Then okay, you have to change how you build a team like this. But if your goal is to win a championship, you can't worry about how you get in. You you know it doesn't you know I, I've I know the your goal is you play to win the game, right? But if the goal is to win a championship, then why does it matter if you get in by Well, I mean fans
1: itch? like to enjoy Every day, They don't want to have the ups and downs, the roller coaster ride. I mean, fans want to be pleased on the day. I get that part of it, but you also can take a step out of that and understand that that's, look, 25 years ago, the difference between the best team and the worst team was wide. It was a huge gap. The best teams were the best teams for a reason. The mediocre team, the gap was wide. Mm-hmm. The gap is not as wide anymore. That's one of the problems I think people have a hard time with. Is there's just the level of talent is has been spread out so much that the best team and the twelfth best team, there's not a lot of difference in talent there. So you're not going to see this dominance. And when you see dominance, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were that much better than everybody else. It's maybe they were healthier than everybody else. Yeah, and that and. People have a hard time with that.
5: Yeah, look, you know, these leagues want as much parity as possible because they love the idea of having as many teams competing as possible because it causes more people to be interested. It gets the TV networks to potentially give them more money, and it makes, for them, their playoffs more enticing to say to a team like the Phillies, hey, you may be three-and-a-half, two-and-a-half, one-and-a-half games out of the wild card right now. But that could change in two weeks. That could change in two months. The
1: wild card thing, you know, I did hear this weekend, uh the locker room and, and Billy Wendell, who, you know, has been doing this stuff for years. The one thing I think the one the only thing I agree with Billy on, <laughs> I mean, he said a lot of things I just didn't agree with, which is fine. I mean, it was made for good conversation um, is the the, the wild card has just changed everything most people listening if you're in an age bracket of you know uh in your mid 30s and and above we didn't grow up with the wild card so being under 500 in 1995 meant your season was over yeah if it, you were 500 this point of the season you were done right you, you, i mean it was you only had two playoff teams they have six playoff teams now And it's hard for us to restructure our mindset that that's acceptable because we were taught that that's not acceptable. Well, guess what? There are six playoff teams and all six of them in baseball can win a World Series. All of them. Any team that gets into the – look at hockey right now. What did Keith Jones say this morning, if anybody saw his interview uh, on NBC Sports Philadelphia? He said, in hockey, all you have to do is get in. The best teams in hockey, they're getting knocked out. The worst teams are going to the Stanley Cup finals. Basketball, Miami Heat, eight seed. They're going to the NBA championship. The way, if you're in the age bracket of what I talk about, 35 and above, the way that we were taught sports didn't have wild card teams and eight seeds didn't win and getting into the playoffs meant you had to win your division. You had to win a hundred games. You had to be a 95 win team. And that's just not the way sports are anymore.
5: Yeah. I mean, I was saying this last night on game night was that if you are someone above 30 and up, basically you grew up in a world where Ricky Henderson, Kenny Lofton, uh, you know, Juan Pierre, these were your leadoff hitters. Well, does the game has changed? The, the how you make lineups has changed. How you execute the game plan in game has changed. And so is the playoff field. So what happens on May 17th is less important than it used to be.
1: Sadly, I mean, I would like it to go back to a time where it was more competitive and that being under 500 was unacceptable. Unfortunately, that's not the sports landscape that we live in anymore, and it is more acceptable.
5: Yeah, and part of that changing sports landscape goes to one of our sounds of the day, the news of the Live PGA merger that is up and coming. Stephen A. Smith this morning was asked to react in real time to – the PGA Live Merger, which you Mike and Cam Radgers talked about a little bit earlier on the sports bash. This is
7: Stephen A. Smith this morning on first take to see the PGA commissioner Jay Monaghan really come to his senses and go about the business of making sure to omit and eradicate all of these damn lawsuits and all of these legal scuffers. And they went about the business of making an agreement with live golf. I think it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. I absolutely loved it. And Rory McIlroy himself, here's the question, what you going to do now? Because you got, you got people like him and others who could have defected to live golf. They could have done that. And so now that you've elected not to do it, you might have missed out on an opportunity to get some of that money because remember the saudi arabian government that public investment fund they put in about two billion dollars into golf that's what they elected to do in developing live golf and there were players that capitalized off of it the Bryce and the shambles of the world and others and then there were players who did not who knows how they're going to feel about it i don't care at the end of the day Live golf with the PGA, this merger, this marriage, it's great for the sport. Well, he's not
1: wrong. I mean, if you take the underlining factor of where the money comes from and all that out of the mix, this is the best thing, to get everybody back together. So in the end, they made a decision, the golfers, to go for the money. The other side tried to be critical of them, almost shame them only to come back, uh, only to go back on all the shaming and say, you know what, we're better together than apart. Let's just put our tail between our legs and put everybody back together. Two years from now, we won't care. It's in the moment that we care. Quite frankly, I think Stephen A. is right in this. It's better for the sport to bring them back together than have them apart, regardless of how you got to the decision. You know, quite frankly, everybody's always critical of something in the moment that it happens, and then we forget. It's like Phillies fans. Yeah. Last year, they were critical of the team all year until they made it to the World Series, and it was the most fun team they ever had. No. You thought they were horrible all season long. You didn't go to any of the games all season. Mm -hmm. You only went when you finally believed in them. You forgot about the eight months. You thought they sucked.
5: I'm conflicted on the PGA Live Golf for this reason, Mike. I feel like because so much time and energy – was burned on this idea of, you know, pro Saudi, anti Saudi money that it's like, well, does everybody just like, you know, fold their hands and sing kumbaya now? Like, how do you, how do you, like in today's world where people are, you know, there's cancel culture and there's people being attacked for saying the smallest little thing on a podcast, you know, it's like this whole situation with skip Bayless, what he said about Jimmy Butler, right? You know, it's how do we how do we go from this like we're at war to we're all friends, let's all, you know, live under the same umbrella. Like it feels like it's an extreme jump in well, today's
1: world. Listen, in the world you say in today's world where we live that everybody, you know, has Either you're completely wrong or you're completely right. There well, is the no us middle or you're ground. Against
5: us mentality.
1: Well, it's, you know, there is no middle ground. If, if, if you say something and I don't agree, you're absolutely positively wrong and I am absolutely positively right. No, that's not the way it is. You just think differently. You know, I always say all the time, I could care less what anybody thinks about anything. That's your thoughts. I, I'm not going to change your opinion. I'm giving you my opinion. If you don't agree with me, it doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong. We just think differently. And I could care less if you agree with me or not. And I don't need you to agree with me to prove that I'm right. I'm not right. I don't know if I'm right. If I'm giving an opinion, there's no way to prove that my opinion is correct. And that's with generally everything when we talk about sports. These live golfers made a decision. Was it morally correct? Probably not. But guess what? I'm sure all of the things that PGA has done in their career is filled with with non-moral decisions. So all of these things in sports... The PGA, the live guys. Ultimately, I think I give Monahan some credit for saying, you know what, I'm going to look like a fool in all this and a hypocritical ass, but I'm doing it for the betterment of the sport. And in the end, he probably did. He did the right thing by bringing them back together, even though all the things he said was completely hypocritical.
5: Well, that's, what, that's what's frustrating is that, you know, people took this extreme position and then all of a sudden, everyone's doing this t- sudden turn face. You know, it's – I know it's not the same, but it does have a feel of, you know, remember when, you know, the WWE took over WCW and it was like all of a sudden like the Monday Night Awards and it was like, and we're all getting
1: along now. It's funny you say that. I When, when I was talking with uh, Cam earlier, I – Thought to myself, this is a WWE script heel turn yeah. of epic proportions. Monahan saying this, 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 and then he turns around and says, and we're, it, it's like Stone Cold teaming up with, with McMahon. Well, I, mean, I was, exactly I was say, it's like,
5: it's like when Bischoff had to admit, like, okay, well, uh we're all on the same team now. It's like, wait a minute, you just spent like five, six years, you know. The Monday, I mean, the Monday Wars was one of the biggest things in pop culture in the '90s. Like, even if you weren't a if you weren't a diehard wrestling fan, you picked sides, and it was the same deal with this. Like, people might not have been diehard golfers, but people were taking sides, and they barely knew who these golfers were. And now, all of a sudden, it's like, all right, everybody. Forget what everything was said. Let's just
1: move on. It's it's just such a bizarre thing. It's listen, this whole Live versus PGA, it put the golf on the map for a while in a time where it was kind of like, you know, uh, what is this live? They split off and then all the top names were going over there and it seemed like, man, they're really breaking this thing up and now to see this happen is a fascinating twist to it all. I mean, I thought Cam was great, just kind of breaking it all down. What happens to the TV? Well, these are kind of sports media geeky things for some people. Like, what happens to the TV contracts? What happens to all that stuff? Like, does the season continue to go on? All that kind of stuff. It is a wild happening that just blindsided everybody. Can you imagine? You're Rory McIlroy. You're Tiger Woods. You're one of the top players on the PGA side. And you had no clue this was happening.
5: Yeah, now all of a sudden well, Jay Monahan, Real quick,
1: because yeah. it was reported that those level of players could have left for live for astronomical $300 of money. million dollar deals yeah. and and didn't because they were being loyal to their brand. And in the end, their brand said, you know what? It's better for us to come together than stay apart. Yeah, Sorry. Greg,
5: Greg Norman said they offered Tiger Woods an ungodly amount of money, and he said no. So now Jay Monahan, Jay Monahan looks like the real winner, right? He's the one who's getting the promotion because he basically gets to run the whole thing. It's almost like when um, we
7: said
1: this with Cam, who's the guy baking out is Monaghan. Right. He he was the guy that is essentially it was like the salty prince said, Hey, I got pictures of you, man. So either I'm releasing (laughs) those pictures or you can make a lot of money and he was like, you know what? The money sounds great, let's do it. No, I mean I I I kid about the pictures, but it almost feels like that level Well
5: it's it's like the you said the heel turn. You know, I'm I'm waiting for Monaghan the walk out there like Vince McMahon did twenty years ago and say, I'm in charge, you know, like <laughs> that kind of thing.
1: Like, it's so strange to me. I I listen, this golf isn't for everybody. You might not watch golf. Even if you're not, this story brings you in.
5: Yes, this story has to bring you in because it's so
1: strange and there's so many weird layers to it. Somebody texted, Tiger Woods passed on eight hundred million to join Live. Like that's enough for me, I think. You know, I'm a pretty laid-back, peaceful guy. I mean, I don't dislike pretty much anybody. If you told me I passed on $800 million out of loyalty, I might strangle you. <laughs> I might
7: snap at that point.
1: <laughs> That's just threshold. That might be my breaking point. I passed on $800 million because of, of, of your loyalty here. <laughs> I supported you. I had to turn on $800 million. <laughs> that might be where you finally get me... To snap. Like, I, I don't care about but much. But I think
5: most people would. I don't think you're saying that's irrational. And that's why Cam was saying to you in the last hour that does Tiger Woods just say, I'm done with the PGA altogether?
1: Well, and I asked him that. Like, what happens to Rory? Because, you know, he talked about the fact that they have this other league starting, Tiger and, and Tiger's Rory. Tiger's yeah. Right, they have their own tour going. What if they just... What if Tiger just tells everybody, like, Join the Tiger Tour. Right. Join the Tiger Tour.
5: What what if all these guys now basically leave the PGA to go join Tiger? Tiger says, come and join me.
1: Keep this in mind. Then it's like an AEW situation. (laughs) Keep this in mind, though. The PGA is not just combining with Liv. They are merging with all of the... tours from around the globe yeah, the
5: world tour that was a
1: dp world tour the as well. dp world tour and the pif they are all coming together yeah, they're all so, coming under one umbrella gee, i give monaghan this credit for as hypocritical and as much of an ass as he looks like i can respect somebody who says you know what i said all these stupid things i was standing <laughs> up for my brand but in the end this is going to be better for my brand.
5: Guys, I was an idiot. So, I'm going to make it I'm going to make it worth your while. Well, sure.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously though. Like now, you now this is a a great class in not saying stuff that's going to come back to bite you. Right. You know, he went out and pounded his chest for his brand. Yes. They're so bad. We're so good. Stay with us. Yeah, we're the Loyalty, good guys. you know, it, it trumps all.
5: Because now you got the people who were mad at Live for the Saudi money. Now they're saying the PGA Tour betrayed us is what they're coming out and saying. You know, Brandy uh, Shambly says that this is the saddest day in golf history. Like,
1: this is a weird. It's the saddest day because of what Jay Monahan said when the Liv guys went out the door. Right. If Jay Monahan doesn't say the things that he said and just peacefully let them go and said, Look, they're doing their thing. The PGA will remain the top tour and we're going to do ours, maybe it would have looked different. But after years of going back and forth, I say years, like two years of going back and forth, Monahan says, You know what? Let's pull this all together. This merger. Um will be better for the game. And I'll be the guy who was the bigger person who said, I can overlook the fact that these guys left us, went to do this other thing, and I'm going to bring them all back together. But his words trumped his actions. Yeah,
5: well, before we get out of here, I want to ask you really quick, Mike, is Tiger Woods big enough to change the landscape and say, I'm going to run a league, I'm going to run this league, Everybody join me against like, Tiger Woods. He's big for enough, you, but
1: I don't know that he wants to do that. Yes, he's big enough. He could do it. I just don't think he wants to handle that.
5: Interesting,
1: though. Uh, text messages 609 403 0973. 609 403 0973. Colin and Kate May Courthouse says, guys, I don't have a problem with the golfers who took to live money because that level of cash usually doesn't have morals attached to it. My worry for the future is the merger keeps the PGA Tour as the nonprofit arm. I believe, yes, they are remaining as a 501c.
5: Yes, and part of the speculation for why they made this merger is because the PGA didn't want some of those documents to become public.
1: Yeah. So that PGA will continue to keep its status as a 501c. All All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Jeff Kerr at 5, my top 25 Philly athletes at 5.30. Stick around.
0: Now, back to more Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. 4.53 Sports
1: Bash. Jeff Kerr is going to talk some birds with us at 5. He was at Eagles OTAs. So, I finally um, got season six of Better Call Saul. It got released on Netflix. So, I'm almost uh, done now. I've been really, you know, the Better Call Saul season finale I heard was outstanding. Um, so, if you haven't watched Better Call Saul, you should get into that. Definitely. Summertime viewing. Look, Always looking for shows in the summer. I started Better Call Saul. I went through all five seasons, but then it was still in real time. Right. And it just got released on Netflix like a month ago. So I just saw it the other day. I've been jamming those things in. I haven't gone back to uh Blacklist yet.
5: I was going to ask if you endeavored to re-pick up on Blacklist or not.
1: No, so. not yet. I, I do wish. I mean, it's still like in. It, they're, they're still in first-run episodes too, right? Yeah.
5: they They just finished season 10.
1: But they're done, right?
5: And that's coming to Netflix, uh, I think it's September or
1: October. But was that it?
5: I have to double check. Uh, There's conflicting stories. Well, basically everything's on hold right now because of the writer's strike. So, I mean, it might be. You know what? So can I just use this as an example? Remember Designated Survivor? I got you on watching that. Yep, yep. Well, that was supposed to have a fourth season, but because of the COVID shutdowns, it derailed everyone's plans so much, they just kind of washed their hands of it.
1: Speaking of the writer's strike, you know, I just watched the American Gladiators thing. Yes. What a wild situation. that whole thing Isn't that was. insane? Yeah, so as I understand it, the guy who was doing the documentary found out in the middle of the documentary yes. that him and this other guy, like, had this wacky relationship. Yeah. I didn't see the first part. I watched the second part.
5: Yeah, I see the first part. Because the first part makes the second part even more like what the what's
1: going on here? <laughs> the second part was like the got the other creator and then there's a third
5: guy who There's makes, a third guy, yeah. There was three people who actually made that and one guy took all the credit and basically stole all the money.
1: Yeah. Well. This better call Saul. It's really good. Really good, so. Some far.
5: people say Better Call Saul is better than Breaking
1: Bad. Yeah, it's a little slower than Breaking Bad in the beginning, but I like Breaking Bad a lot. I don't know that I like better call salt better, but it's pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, Jeff Kerr was at Eagles OTAs. You'll get his
0: first-hand insight coming up next. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Just after five, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. You know, the Eagles
1: are finishing up their week at OTAs. They'll be off tomorrow. Then Thursday, they'll finish up. Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, covers the NFL. What is he seeing so far at Eagles OTAs that is different? From the team that went to the Super Bowl last year, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN, as we bring in CBS Sports NFL writer Jeff Kerr to the Sports Bash here on 97.3 ESPN. What's going on, Jeffrey? Jeff, do you hear me? Jeff, do you hear me? He is not hearing me. He's not moving. He's not doing anything here. So it seems that he is frozen or he is out. He is uh, not doing anything. Do You got me.
8: I, I got you, Mike you know, We just had some big thunderstorms here, so it was 50-50 where I'd sign in
1: or not. All right, little thunder boomers out there for Jeff. All right, Jeff, uh obviously the Eagles OTAs, uh, very interesting. You've been writing a lot about the Eagles over at CBS Sports, some of the things that you're seeing out there that is happening with this team and hearing from them. Let's start with Jalen Hurts, and uh, what are some of the things that we're hearing about Hurts from some of the new players that are getting their first taste of being around Jalen Hurts.
8: Well, Terrell Edmonds was one of the ones that commented when he was asked about him because he was, you know, he's one of the new guys. He said, you know, he's as good as advertised. Everything they heard about Jalen Hurts, they're seeing him firsthand. And he said, you know, he's great at reading the defense. And I, I noticed this too, uh, adding on to Edmonds during minicamp. So I was just watching Hurts when he wasn't on the field. And he was just kind of like this the entire time, like just studying the offense, studying the defense when it was Tanner McKee in or Marcus Mariota in or he was talking to Brian Johnson. it's He's always involved in something, even when he's not involved in the actual play.
1: Yeah, I know, uh, Edmonds, who's new, we'll get to him in just a bit, being around him. Uh, there's not a whole heck of a lot of new guys on the offensive side of the ball, except for one spot, maybe not new, but up for grabs is right guard. So some of the, give us some insight on what you're hearing and seeing so far in the early stages of that battle, Steen, and of course, Juergens, who was here last year, and how that all might shape up when we get to camp.
8: Well, I think we'll have a better intel on Thursday about how everything's shaping up. But I'll tell you this, Cam Juergens is the starting right guard as of right now over Tyler Steen. But it was hard to to gouge anything with that offensive line because Lane Johnson was not participating on Thursday. Remember, Lane Johnson had surgery this offseason with his abdomen and stuff. So he wasn't there Thursday, or if he was there, he just wasn't on the field. So. Jack Driscoll was playing right tackle on last Thursday. Now, Lane spoke today, so I'm assuming he's going to be around, you know, say Thursday. And we'll get a good glimpse of what this offensive line looks like. But right now, it's Cam Jurgens. I think it's Jack Driscoll's going to be in the mix, Tyler Steen, Sua Opeta, but – it does look like the Eagles want Cam Juergens to be the right guard for this one. Well,
1: I was going to say they maybe gave us a hint on who's not in the race with Driscoll playing <laughs> right tackle, right? He was a guy that you thought maybe – you know, he's the veteran of that group who has the most starts at that position, and you thought, okay, maybe him having the experience there, I don't want to say gives him a leg up, but at least gives him a leg in the race. It seems that they're looking at him more as a swing guy.
8: Yeah, and I don't know if you were asked this on Bird Three Six Five, Michael, Mike, or when you go on on Wednesdays, but – John McBall and I had a good discussion about this, I think, about two or three weeks ago. Who's the third tackle? Well, wouldn't it be Jack Driscoll? So, yeah, you're right. He's kind of out of the mix there. Like, who's going to be... The backup left tackle, the backup right tackle. Well, it does look like
1: it's gonna be Jack Driscoll. Yeah, uh if you look at it right now, yeah, Driscoll would be the one guy who look, they like versatility, and he can play the inside, he can move to the outside. I mean, that's a guy uh that this team has always kind of had in their back pocket, is that guy that can move up and down the line. You've seen a bunch of those guys throughout the years in Philadelphia. You got Milati, you got Dickerson, um, you've got Lane Johnson, but Driscoll is the one guy who can kind of move up and down the line. They don't have a whole head of a lot of that, those guys on this current roster. So you think right now, um, And what is Jergens kind of, what stands out about him? Because most people look at him, look, he was going to be the heir apparent to Jason Kelsey. Dickerson was going to be the heir apparent to Kelsey. Then they didn't need him to play center. He moved to guard. They liked him so much at guard that they drafted Jergens. So what are they looking for and what stands out about Jergens as a guard? Something he's never done.
8: Well, I think what Cam Jergens is right now, and he Honestly, said this on Thursday. It's not as hard as going from tight end to center. So, Cam Jurgens is going to be the future center of this football team whenever Jason Kelsey does decide to hang it up. And I think they'll go with Tyler Steen at guard somewhere down the line. Then maybe Steen moves the tackle whenever Lane Johnson goes, or they, you know, there's a guy not even on this team yet that will be uh, Lane Johnson's long term uh, placement. But Overall, I think Cam Jurgens try. he reminds me a little bit of Isaac Sayamalo. Like they're, they're trying to make him a little more flexible in terms of, uh, position versatility. They're actually the same size. Jurgens said he wanted to be around 310, 315. Well, Sayamalo was 6'3", 302. Jorgens is 6'3", 305 right now. That's why he's listed at once to get to 310, 315. So I, I think the key with Cam Jorgens is right now is how is he going to do and pass blocking. I I, I think that's going to be the difference. Like, we knew how good Isaac Samal was in the run game. I think Cam Jurgens will be fine in the run game. It's pass blocking where I'm curious.
1: Uh, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, has his Eagles minicamp OTA observations. Uh, Let's take a look at some of the things that you are seeing there. And let's go to N'Kobe Dean, obviously. I think he only had about 35 snaps on defense last year. Uh, It appears that he's going to have a lot more on his plate this year than 35 snaps.
8: Yeah, he's getting the green dot. Uh, Nicholas Morrow admitted that on Thursday. He's got the green dot. He's calling the defense. And look, who else is going to do it? Uh, You know, normally it is your Mike linebacker, and the, both their Mike linebackers are gone. Uh, T.J. Edwards, Kaiser White, off to other places. So right now it looks like it's going to be Dean and Morrow starting at linebacker. But, again, you know, we'll see how Davion Taylor fits in this mix. We'll see how – um uh, Sean Bradley fits in. I think they do need help at linebacker. Um, I, I think they need to add somebody. I know a lot of people are speculating Patrick Queen, and I say to watch out for him, but hearing him talk last week and kind of hearing how the Ravens, uh, you know, just knowing some guys in the organization, it doesn't look like they really want to move on from Patrick Queen. I, I I don't know if he's ever going to get a long-term deal with them, but I don't think they just want to give him away.
1: Let's uh, just let, me, let me ask you this. Uh, um, what does Dean do differently than the linebackers the Eagles employed last year? Um, because obviously he's a little smaller, uh, he's a little different than Nkobe. I mean, than um, Kaiser White and T.J. Edwards. So, what does he do that maybe those guys don't didn't do?
8: I think that Kobe Dean is going to. I don't think you are going to see as many missed tackles, and that, that was one thing with T.J. Edwards that he was very good at. Um, at least last year was. He wasn't missing tackles. He was finding the football. And I think that's going to be Nicole, Nikobi Dean. You said he played, um, 34 snaps last year, right? Michael? So you know, he had 13 tackles on those 34 defensive snaps, snaps. So that's what, uh, you know, over 30% rate. He's going to find the football. I'm curious to see how he is in coverage, but again, all ball linebacker. I, I think he's going to be fine. I, I think what the Eagles need there is a leader. Uh, in that front seven and they do got a couple of them, but they do need one at linebacker. And I think that's what you're going to see. I, my worry is who's going to be next in the Kobe Dean. I I think that could really not stunt his development, but I think it's going to make the Kobe Dean look bad at times no matter who's there right now.
1: Yeah. Well, his partner, um, you know, that you mentioned, um, uh, Nick Morrow, what are some of the things that Nick Morrow is saying about his role and this new defense uh, in these early situations here? Some of the things that Sean Desai uh, has done that he hasn't seen before.
8: Uh, the big thing is communication. He said he's been in the NFL seven years. And that's with the Raiders and the Bears, and he's never seen a defensive coordinator communicate with the way these guys with with this team. And it seems like situational football is going to be the big thing. Like, I think Sean side knows this defense is good. Will it be as good as it was last year? Talent-wise, I don't think so. But they do a Jalen Carr. They do a Nolan Smith. That's going to help. They got a lot of young players in there. And, yeah, they're weak at linebacker safety. And I think that's why he's stressing communication a lot. Because if these guys are on the same page, you're not going to see – the third and thirties that you saw last year. You're not going to see third and loans get converted here. I, I think what they're going to know what to do in every single down the distance situation possible. And I think that's really going to help them in the long run, Mike Gill, especially come toward the playoffs. Remember, it's it's going to be hard to live up to what Jonathan Gannon did last year in terms of pass yards per game allowed, in terms of sacks, <laughs> but the defense overall could be better.
1: Don't uh don't tell the, the fans that it's going to be hard to live up to what Jonathan Gannon My, did. By,
8: by the way, Mike Gill, what <laughs> fan base thing drives you more nuts? The fact that Eagles fans don't think Andy Reid is a, is a great coach or that John Gannon is, you know, the, the devil child, I guess we could call.
1: Uh, Good question. I don't know if I have the direct answer to that one just yet. Uh, we'll see. You know, I, I, I'm i already hearing, um, you know, Listening to some stuff about Gannon's defense out in Arizona, and they're praising the way that he's been using a couple of guys who they think have been used wrong. You know, Isaiah Simmons, uh, the way that he's already using them. And I say this many times John Gannon, whether you liked his defense or didn't like his defense, individually, every single player had their best year of their career playing in John Gannon's defense. And they are already hearing some murmurs that that could happen for the Arizona Cardinals players now, guys that were been drafted in the first round that have essentially given them nothing out there because many of the people who cover that team think that previous coordinators were using them in the wrong manner.
8: Everybody loved Vance Joseph as a coach, but he wasn't getting anything out of Isaiah Simmons. And I remember when Simmons got drafted, a lot of people thought he was going to be the best player in the draft because he could play cornerback, safety, linebacker, you could line him up as a pass rusher. I think John Gann's going to use him a lot more like a Micah Parsons. Yep. Stuff, and I think you're, you're going to see a difference there. It's uh, I, Look, whatever you want to say about John Gann, he is a good coach. Is he a good situational coach? I don't know. Well, situational,
1: know. Let, let's bring that up because that's something that Morrow brought up about the sigh. He said it's the most he's learned situationally. And I don't know that, you know, generally we've heard a, a, a term like that when it comes to football.
8: Yeah, you're right. Uh, you have it. And... It's weird that Morrow brought that up. I, you know, I, the light bulb went off. I'm like, Oh, okay. Like, you know, he's not giving anything away, but he's kind of saying, Hey, look, you know, this is what we do in a second and 12 or a third and 15, a third and one, a, you know, a fourth and five, you know, this is what to expect here. And I think sometimes that can make up for talent deficiency or lack of talent. Like, Gill, and the Eagles definitely don't have lack of talent on defense. It, it's going to be a weird year for me because I think this defense is capable of getting 50 sacks again. <laughs> But you know, if you don't get seventy, is it a disappointment? No. Like, remember, they were disappointed last year, and they and they had seventy sacks. It's it, it, it was so their defense was so unbelievably good at times last year that I know a lot of people like to play well. Patrick Mahomes picked them apart. Well, Patrick Mahomes picks everybody apart. And so does Andy Reid. And you know, it, it, it's big shoes to fill. But I like the guy they hired. I will say that I really do like Sean Desai. I think. He's going to get the most out of a lot of these guys. Will they have career years? No, but I think it's, it's going to be the same terminology, the same type of defense, but it's going to have a different feel.
1: Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports, uh, looking at the Eagles OTA observations. He's writing about it over at CBS Uh, tell us a little bit about Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter and that pairing and, and how, you know, uh, Davis's role You know, now year number two, what they might be expecting from him and how him and Carter could play off each other.
8: Yeah, so Jordan Davis is more than thrilled Jalen Carter's here. As a matter of fact, he told Jalen Carter the week, you know, of the draft, you know, you're going to be an Eagle, right? You're going to pick him at number 10. You know, they're going to pick you at number 10 overall, and, you know, no Shadamas here. He, He got one pick. He was one pick off. They traded up for him, but he got it right. And, yeah, you know what? He's going to be kind of like a big brother to Jalen Carter in a sense. You know, I think that's one of the reasons why the Eagles were so confident in picking Jalen Carter amidst, of, uh, you know, whatever went on this offseason, uh, you know, and being in the draft because you got Jordan Davis there. You got Nicole Dean there. You were fortunate enough to get Nolan Smith in there. Kaylee Ringo, you know, these guys, they know each other. And, you know, Jordan Davis said he, it's going to be a lot of off the field stuff. Like you know, you need to go get some something to eat. You need to go somewhere. I'll I'll help you out. You know, and Jordan Davis, you know, he's got his head on he's got his head on the ground. You know, he's a very humble guy, and it feels like he's taking on a leadership role in year two that I definitely didn't expect out of him already. Is but he credited Davikasu and then Val Joseph for a lot of that. It's it last year was weird. It ended up being like a red shirt type year for Jordan Davis after he got hurt, but. He played a lot. A lot of people were, I guess, disappointed. But before the foot injury, I think you were more than happy with how Jordan Davis played.
1: Um, Maybe, yes. I guess people, when you hear first-round pick, you want to see more, I don't want to say more of an impact because of the position he plays, but maybe just more snaps, more of a role. I will say this,
8: though. They did miss him in that Texans and Commanders game when they were just getting gashed against the run. Uh, you know, you could tell Jordan Davis played a role there, even though it didn't show up in the box score.
1: Well, I think they missed him to the point that it forced them to go get a veteran like Linval Joseph because they were hoping that Davis would be Joseph. Now, are they hoping that Davis is Joseph this year? I think they're hoping he'd be better Well, I, I mean, filling was- that role, <laughs> filling that role.
8: Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, I think they want him to be – in that rotation, with Fletcher Cox, with Jalen Carter, with Milton Williams, with Marlon Tui, Peloto, Katavia, Katavia Street, like there's six guys that can play defensive tackle for them. I don't think all six are going to be on this roster, but they're deep there. It's a, they're very deep, and I, I do think Jordan Davis is going to play a lot of snaps. I think he's going to be a, a, a. I'll say this: a first or second down defensive tackle for them.
1: Yeah, I, I I'm looking. Uh, we were talking earlier um, about. Last year you had Fletcher Cox, Linval Joseph, and Javon Hargrave. This year it's probably Fletcher Cox, Jordan Davis, and Jalen Carter. Can you get more from Carter and Davis than you got from Joseph and Hargrave? Yeah, Hargrave's going to be tough to uh, you know catch up
8: to here because he was really good, and he's going to be really good for the 49ers. But that's why you let a guy like that walk. You know? you know, If Jalen Carter can play like Corey Simon did his rookie year in 2000, I think they can.
1: Uh, Jeff, you also wrote about uh, the safeties. One, uh, Reed Blankenship. He, he, you know, last year he was an undrafted guy, made the team. He kind of came out of nowhere, ended up getting starts for this team. What's his role in his mind entering this particular training camp?
8: Uh, he's keep he's keeping the same mindset, you know that nothing settled. Um, you know, he's still hungry. There's a starting job that he rightfully earned in minicamp, but he knows starting jobs aren't earned in minicamp. They're earned in training camp, and Reed Blankenship is a training camp like he did last year. He's going to start at safety. Now, barring they, they trade for somebody again like they did C.J. Garner-Johnson. Remember, remember, it looked like before they made that trade, Reed Blankenship had every right to walk in that safety room and feel like he could be a starter because they didn't have anybody. You know, it was – it looked like it was going to be Anthony Harrison, and tchaikovsky and they cut Tart and they cut Harris, and they trade for Gardner johnson and it was Gardner johnson and Marcus Epps. You know, Marcus Epps was the wild card last year. You were hoping he would seize a, a starting job, and he did, and I think that's what they're hoping for with re-blankenship this year. And yeah, I, is Blankenship great in coverage? No, he's not, but he's still a young player. He's going to be good against the run. He's going to have a role in this defense. It's just where he's going to start or not.
1: All right, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports here. Go to cbssports.com. Click on the NFL tab at the top, and you can read all of Jeff's. You've been walking around Eagles OTAs, his ETA, uh, Eagles OTA minicamp observations. You can read those. And how about Sidney Brown? What are you hearing about the rookie safety? We just talked about Blankenship. You talked about Edmonds. But Sidney Brown, what about him?
8: Edmonds says he's going to be a player in this league, and I think Edmonds knows Sidney Brown is probably closer to – contributing for the Eagles sooner rather than later. I'll just say that. And with the openings at safety, there's a chance for him to get a starter job right now. He was with the second team on Thursday, rotating in there with Justin Evans and Kayvon Wallace, but he was in there. He was making plays, and I, I know it's only seven on seven because that's what Nick Sirianni does, but you have to be encouraged with what you see out of Sidney Brown. And Sidney uh, Brown's done He's made quite an impression already. Uh, I'm looking forward
1: to watching him in training camp. All right. You'll be walking around training camp. uh, They're off tomorrow, correct? Thursday is the – I will be there Thursday. You'll be there Thursday. So they're off tomorrow, and Thursday is the final day. And uh, we'll get a last look at the Eagles. And then they're shutting it down. Shut it down for the rest of the summer. And uh, we'll be waiting to see when those training camp dates will be starting. I guess uh, late July?
8: Yeah. uh, You know what? In terms of Eagles like all season hierarchy, I think I'm looking forward to when they actually unveil the Kelly Green jerseys or whenever whenever weeks are going to use them. I have a feeling Christmas night might be one of those. Oh,
1: ones. okay. Yeah, there's a lot of cool options this year that they could use them Christmas night, Christmas, uh New Year's Eve, I guess, or New Year's Day, one of those two. They have a game this year. Uh we'll see. I know the Seahawks announced that they're going to wear them like in a, in a week 8 game or something like that, right?
8: Yeah, yeah, Week 8. Um, yeah, that went under the radar last year when they announced that because I think they actually announced it on a Sunday. And I'm like, oh, the Seahawks are aren't going to bring back those, uh, you know, Jim Zorn, Steve Argent era uniforms or Warren Boone or whoever you want to go through. Uh, you know, the pre-NFC uniforms, I like
1: to call. Them. Gotcha. All right, Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports Covers, the NFL. He'll be at Eagles camp on Thursday, and uh, we'll try to bring him back on Friday uh, to see what he sees for one last time before training camp begins. Look, when the mini camp ends, that means, look, we're going to be at, what, uh, the 9th, June? Uh, You're looking at probably just like a month, and then they'll be getting ready to kick it back off. The Hall of Fame game will be here before we know it.
8: It's crazy, right? You know, I I enjoyed the summer because I enjoyed – no NFL and I get I use all my vacations and stuff. But you know what? When you're there, when you're watching minicamp, you're like, I can't wait till this thing starts again, especially since you know that this team's gonna be pretty good this year.
1: I hear you, brother. All right, man. We'll try to catch up with you on Friday. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks, Mike. Jeff Kerr, CBS Sports here on the Sports Bash. Of course, covers the NFL. He'll be at Eagles camp, and we will tap into him on Friday's show. He mentioned Burge 365. I'll be on tomorrow morning, uh, 820, with the guys. If you want to listen to some Eagles pontifications from yours truly, I'll be there for that. Coming up on the Sports Bash, Flyers trade. Danny Briere, by the way, is talking right now about the trade. Who are the top 25 athletes in Philadelphia? My buddy Kevin Kincaid over at Crossing Broad wrote his 25. Now, I have not seen the list. Josh, you'll have to bring up the list. I will try to knock off. I'll give you my top 25 right now and see how it matches up with my buddy Kevin Kincaid from Crossing Broad. That's coming up next. So I'll ask you guys, 609-403-0973. Who are the top 25 athletes in Philadelphia? I think most of us have an idea who the top three, I guess, are. Three? But after that, I think it's up for grabs. Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN.
0: Now, back Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. 5.30
1: Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Mike Gill with you. My producer, Josh Henning. So, Josh, I sent you the list from Crossing Broad's Kevin Kincaid. Kincaid always does these fun lists. I think it's fun to take a look at the top 25 athletes in Philly right now because he said last year at this time, there were some weird guys on this list that aren't even in Philly anymore. Can you imagine? He said how much better or different the list is from this time last year to this year. So he has his list of the top 25 athletes in Philly right now. Now, I have not looked at the list. All right? Right In front of me. You've got it in front of you? Okay. So I came up with my top 25.
5: Now, what order are you going to go in here?
1: Um, I'm going to go from one down. All right. And I'm going to go from one down because I think the top three are pretty obvious. Okay. Now, it just depends on what configuration of the three. Okay. Right? I think the three at the top are very obvious, and then there's a drop. I mean, I would think so. Now, what is it? Does he give a criteria? I didn't read this article at all. I don't know anything about it. I just saw the headline. I saw who are the top 25 athletes in Philly, so I gave you my 25.
5: So, basically, he doesn't really have a criteria as much as he basically says in the article that Quote, it's hard to compare guys playing different sports, but we try to keep it simple. Look at how well each player does in their respective league.
1: OK, so it's basically subjective to the league and how like the way I did it was I kind of did it on like the impact they have for the their team. So your
5: your criteria is a little different than Kevin's. What's his? His criteria is they're standing in their league. Like, for example. Well, as I said.
1: The impact they have for their team in their league. Oh, in their league. Okay. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. So, for instance. All right. Who's your number one? My number one is Jalen Hurts. Okay. And I, I guess that that is, again, there's three guys that could be one, two, so or Jaylen's three. Jalen's one. Who's two? Joel Embiid. And who's in. Bryce Harper. Okay. So he does not have that order. Right. So I have Hurts. He took his team to the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. he was the runner up in the MVP. In Now, you could say, well, Bryce Harper took his team to the World Series, right? Right. And Joel Embiid won the MVP. So they all have a reason why they could be number one. Jalen Hurts, to me, though, they had the best regular season, and their regular season carried over to postseason success. They were the number one seed. They went to the Super Bowl. Joel Embiid's team was the number three seed. They got knocked out in the second round. Right. Bryce Harper's was the third wild card team. They went to the World Series. So Hertz, to me, had the most well rounded regular season uh, accolades and team success. So Hertz, to me, he also plays in the most popular sport. So Hertz got the slight edge. Over Embiid and then Harper number three because Harper did miss some time with the injury. He also was only the DH or Embiid impact offense and defense. Now you say, well, Hertz doesn't do anything on defense. He's also the quarterback of the football team. So Hertz one, Embiid two, Harper three. So
5: Kincaid has Harper one, Hertz two, Embiid three okay. because he says. Harper's been doing it longer than Hurts.
1: Oh, so he had longevity in the mix there. Okay. Fair.
5: And he has be third in part because of the injuries.
1: Fair. Uh, Very fair. Now, I guess I kind of looked at with those three, the season that just kind of was most recent. He went with Harper doing it more. So that means Hurts would be third of the three if you're going by that. He has Hurts too, though.
5: He has Hertz number 2.
1: Yeah, so that doesn't make a lot of sense, Kincaid. Come on. You're a smart WVU grad, my (laughs) man. Well, he says
5: in the article that the original list had Hertz 1, Harper 2, but then he changed it because Harper has been doing it longer.
1: Okay. Well, if Harper has been doing it longer, that's one. Embiid has been doing it longer than Hertz.
5: Yeah. Well, he has Embiid. (laughs) He's He actually says in the article... You could make an argument that M B could have been two or one on this list.
1: You could make an argument that either one of, that's what I said. This configuration can go in any way. So you guys that's, agree
5: on the three, just not
1: the order of the That's three. right. That's what I figured. I figured so the, who's your Well, fourth? I said the three I think were obvious. The fourth is where there's a drop. I went with A.J. Brown as number four. Okay, he
5: has the same number four.
1: Oh, okay. The yeah, same I went with A. J. Brown. I thought he had a huge he, he had an almost T O esque impact in his one year.
5: He had to say the same thing. He said He's the best receiver to play in Philadelphia since Terrell Owens.
1: Okay, we're on the same page there.
5: Must have been at WVU Water.
1: Now, this is where it gets a little weird. Uh, Number five, I went with Jason Kelsey.
5: He has Jason Kelsey as six.
1: Okay. Now, his is more longevity, impact to the team, and what he means to this being the best offensive line in football.
5: He says that Kelsey's hard to rank. You actually could make an argument with, with intangibles. He may be number one in the city, but... They felt comfortable putting him at six. Number five for him was Hassan Reddick.
1: Okay, interesting. I went, this one might be controversial based on his start, but I went with Trey Turner. And, you know, the signing. His world baseball classic, which I know does not count for his Phillies, but he is a Philly in the world baseball classic. He had an unbelievable world baseball classic. Now you could say his start for the Phillies has been bum bum ba, bum bum. Kincaid
5: does have Trey Turner in his top ten.
1: Okay. So I went with Turner a little higher than I probably think most people would go. I went with number so had,
5: six. Right. So Turner six, who's your number seven?
1: Uh James Harden is number seven for me. I he know has, he's he has, not,
5: He has Harden in the top 10. Okay. I know
1: Harden's a little controversial right now. We'll have some audio on him tomorrow. Um, I went with Harden 7. He led the league in assists. He had monster games. He won them game one. He won them game, what, five? He had two huge games for them. He had a really good season. James Harden, number seven. Okay, who's your number eight? Lane Johnson, best right tackle in football, hasn't given up a sack since Moses wore short pants. I mean, he, he just absolutely, um, and he's uh, epitomizes, you know, he's, he's been a mainstay on this line since he's been drafted in, like, 2013.
5: 2013. Kincaid has Johnson at seven.
1: Okay, so we're on the same page there. Yeah,
5: you're, you're in the same area. It's like, you know, same church, wrong puke thing going on here. Okay.
1: Who's your eight? Uh, Lane Johnson. Wait, okay, nine, nine is Red Hassan Reddick. He had 18 okay. and a half sacks. I mean, he had a monster year, had his best season This is starting to
5: sound like you guys are the same top ten, but just different order.
1: Well, Reddick. I mean, had his, the best season he's ever had in his NFL career, and he's had some really good years. His best season he ever had was last year. All
5: right, who's your number nine? Reddick. Oh, sorry. So, <laughs> wait, hold on. <laughs> so, Johnson was eight.
1: Trey Turner, six. Seven. Harden, seven. seven. Lane Johnson, eight. Hassan Reddick, nine. And Brandon Graham, number 10.
5: Okay. So you, that's where you guys differ. He does not have Brandon Graham in the top 10.
1: Okay. Yeah. I have Brandon Graham top 10. He had his best season of his career, essentially, last year. And he came off the injury and a little bit of it is also he has the biggest play in the history of the franchise. Put that together. Like some of these guys, longevity, things that they've done in their past, but I thought Graham had an unbelievable season last year as, as a role player. So he is Lane Johnson
5: seven, the aforementioned Trey Turner is nine and the aforementioned James Harden is 10. Where Kincaid differs with you is at number eight. He has Devonta Smith.
1: Devonta Smith. Okay, I have him on my list. Obviously, he's a little bit lower down on my list. Uh, where does he have Graham?
5: He has Graham. I'm scrolling right now. Well, he's not in the top 15. Huh. Um, let me see here.
1: Not in the top 20. Wow. Bad job out of you there, Brandon Graham is
5: not on the list. Let me scroll to the honorable mentions, see if he's in the honorable mentions here.
1: I mean, Brandon Graham has to be on your list, Kincaid. Brandon Graham is not even in the honorable mentions. I mean, he's got to be on the list. He had his best season of all time. He had the best year that he's ever had as a pro last year. I mean, and what he means to the city... With his play, he, I mean, okay, you could say 10's too high. I've said it's the, it's the most important play in the history of the franchise. Maybe that's why I have him a little, but he's gotta be in the top 25. It's a bad job, Kincaid. He has Brandon Marsh as number 26, by the way. Brandon Marsh, 26. Well, I didn't do any honorable mentions, but Marsh wouldn't be my 26 out of his guys. If he didn't put Graham in the top 25, Graham's gotta be 26. It's a bad job. <laughs> uh, I got Kyle Schwarber, number 11.
5: Okay. Now, why 11 and maybe not somebody else?
1: Uh, Mostly because of his year last year. He's the leader of the team, 48 homers, World Series. You know, he had a huge impact on that team. Now, he's not having a great year this year, but more for what he means to the team and the run they had last year.
5: Kincaid has Schwarber at 19.
1: Okay. Uh, 12, I have Real Muto.
5: He has Real Muto at 11.
1: Okay. Real Muto, again... More of his Phillies career last year, more so than what he's doing this year. Okay. Um Zach Wheeler, number 13.
5: He has Wheeler 13 as well.
1: Okay, yeah. Wheeler, not a great year this year, but what he did last year, helping them get to a World Series, kind of turning into the ace of the, of, of the team, kind of the clear-cut ace of the team. Uh, I hope he gets back to that now. 14, Devonta Smith.
5: He has Smith in the top 10, yep. so we already mentioned that. Who's
1: your fifth team? By the way, I put Smith there, too. I mean, Schwarber, Real Muto, Wheeler, those guys are like the leaders of the Phillies. Smith is, I don't want to say, I mean, he's not a leader of the team. He's more of like a, I don't want to say a a role guy. I mean, I, I don't know how to describe Smith, but he's not the leader. He's a force of nature. He's the Shwerberry. He's very – no, I'm he's talking about Smith. Smith. Smith, I'm talking oh, about. Oh, Smith. got a Shwerberry yeah. there. No, I,
5: Smith – Smith's not really a leader, but as Kincaid wrote, he says, he's a phenomenal player who would be a number one receiver on other teams.
1: Okay. Uh, 15, Darius Slay. Might be a little high for him. Yes, Slay at 17. Okay. Oh, okay. So we're in the same boat there. Um, 16, I have Carter Hart. Which might, by the end of the day, need to be changed. <laughs> <laughs> he does not have Carter Hart in his top 20. But he is on his list. He's on the list. All right. Yeah, Carter Hart has to be on the list. I mean, he's the best player on the team, essentially. Um Provorov got traded today. For those of you just <laughs> tuning in, there's details on our website. Uh 17, I've got Goddard. Okay, he has Goddard at 14 a little higher than me. I like Goddard a lot. I actually thought maybe i put him a little too high because I'm a big Goddard fan, but he didn't have the year that I would hope because he got hurt last year.
5: Yeah, he has Goddard saying he's a top five tight end in the league, maybe top three, depending on who you ask.
1: Uh, 18 is Maxie. He has Maxie at 16. Okay, so we're about the same boat there. I think Maxie's going to go higher on this list. I think he'll pass a couple guys. Hopefully, that would be a good thing. 19 for me, Josh Sweat. So he doesn't have Sweat in his top 20. He's top 25.
5: I'm scrolling. Uh, Sweat is not in the top twenty-five. Mm,
1: okay, so he has soccer guys in there that I probably don't have. Yes, uh, knowing, knowing Swe- Kincaid.
5: Yes, what did make the uh, the honorable mentions? The soccer guy you meant you missed would be Andre Blake. He says is the best goal keeper in Major League Soccer at twelve.
1: Okay, yeah see I don't know anything about uh MLS so I I, I can't there's two, so if he's got soccer guys in that would be two guys that he has in that I don't but you can't have he's the only soccer
5: guy in the top
1: 20 but what about top 25 uh
5: one two he doesn't have anybody else in the top 25 he's okay. the only soccer player
1: so I have Brandon Graham and he has some guy named Blake my list is better <laughs> <laughs> sweat 19 20. James Bradbury. He also has Bradbury 20. Oh, okay. Uh, 21, Fletcher Cox. He does not have Fletcher on this list. Wow, really? You got to put, I mean, as much as he's slowing down, there's somebody that
5: you have even named yet,
1: he has higher. Uh, I got 22, Aaron Nola. He has Nola 21. Okay. Nola not having a great year, but come on. I mean, he's been a we're both in the same ballpark there. Yeah. So, you know, 23, I got Tobias Harris. He doesn't have Tobias on the list. Yeah, I can understand. I mean, he's still the Sixers, like, fourth, third or fourth guy, depending on. You know what I'm saying? I got 24, Nick Castellanos.
5: He has Castellanos higher than you. He has Nick at 18.
1: Okay. And I got Bryson Stott as 25.
5: He has Bryson Stott at 23.
1: So that's my 25. He's got how many guys that I did not have? So we have a couple guys. He didn't have Fletcher. He didn't have Tobias.
5: Here's who you didn't have. He didn't list. have Brandon Graham. How
1: do you not have Brandon Graham in there?
5: So he has Jordan Myelata at 15.
1: Jordan Myelata. Eh. Okay. I like Jordan, but. <laughs> wow, that was real mad. <laughs>
5: Uh, by the way, for those who are wondering, he does have Carter Hart at twenty-two.
1: Okay, Carter Hart needs to be on the list until until he gets traded by the end of the day.
5: Travis Connecting is twenty-four.
1: He had a good year, sixty-point year, I, I guess. Right, sixty some points.
5: Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe I overlooked
1: Connecting just because I didn't watch a lot of Flyers this year, admittedly.
5: And twenty-five is Alec Bohm.
1: I'm a big Bone guy, but can't make my twenty-five. Sorry. I like Boom. I'm not a Boom hater by any stretch. Of all the people, you would think that I would put Boom on my. Like in 25. your situation,
5: Bohm would be number twenty six, probably.
1: Uh, Bohm ahead of me Mm I don't think there's a sixer that I'm leaving off the list. I mean, maybe. I mean, Melton's just a role player. Not as a role player. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know enough about the soccer guys, so I can't include them. That would be disingenuous. That would be like me saying that um, Tommy McDonald belongs on my wide receiver list. I never saw Tommy McDonald play. I, I can't do that, you know?
5: So, Gay's honorable mentions are Brandon Marsh, Jose
1: Alvarado. Alvarado's not bad. That's a good one. Josh Sweat. You know it would be good. It's just he's not having a good year this year. Is uh, Dominguez had a great playoff run last last year. year. Yeah.
5: Uh, Josh went Avante Maddox
1: on the honorable mentions. First off, he went to Pitt.
5: (laughs) Honorable mentions also include Jake Elliott, Landon Dickerson, Tobias Harris, Ivan Provorov, and then a couple soccer players. And then he includes a lacrosse player named Mitch Jones.
1: (laughs) And a Mitch. (laughs) Mitch Jones. Uh, I can't vouch for Mitch Jones. <laughs> I'm sorry.
5: <laughs> he says in the, he actually says the yes, really. Look at the numbers he puts up for the wings.
1: <laughs> I'm going to go with, um, Cohen Cook from mainland. He wins every <laughs> state championship. He's got one for football, basketball, and he's probably going to win one on Sunday for baseball. So Cook, <laughs> Cookie, you're in, buddy. He's a great kid, by the way. Um, Cook makes the top 30. He's definitely in there. If we're, we're including Mitch Jones, Cook makes my list. Um, so there's really only a couple. the entire 2021 Atlantic Shore World Series team. champions team, they all – Make my list.
5: I mean, that team won a championship more recently than anybody else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That team has the most recent local championship. Yeah.
5: Not the Phillies, not the Eagles. Baseball, anyway. not the Sixers. The wing the um uh the uh the soccer team even lost in the MLS Cup.
1: Yeah. No, I mean that's a good list by him. Mine's better. Yeah, you didn't
5: have Graham, he didn't have Fletcher. You
1: gotta have Brandon Graham on the list. Kincaid. He doesn't have it. Do you agree with me?
5: I agree with you if you're talking about, you know, like value and importance to the city and their team. Hold on a second. He also had the best season he ever had last year. Kincaid doesn't even honorable mention him. So that's my problem. If you're not going to put him on the list, he's got to be an honorable
1: mention. He had more sacks last year playing for John Gannon. He had 11 sacks. It's the first time in his career he ever had double digit sacks ever. Yeah. And he's 34 years old he had his best season ever he's got to be on that list I, I I've got to to let Kincaid know he completely missed on that
5: yeah no Graham, no fletcher on this list
1: was a fun list.
5: I thought our lists were pretty close you guys have very similar points on different guys you know you didn't have you didn't have Jordan myata on your list
1: and I like Myelotta. I'm a big Myelotta fan but I can't put him in the top 25 I mean he, he didn't well. have Bohm And he didn't have connected. I didn't have Boehm. You? Yeah. I thought you said he didn't. No, you didn't have Boehm. Yeah, Boehm's not not there yet. Boehm, not. Boehm right now is a steady player. He's not, you know, same with Stott. I mean, they're not like impactful guys. But Boehm hurt too, I guess, kind of hurt a little bit right now when I'm trying to make that decision. Plus, he was so bad defensively last year. Good job, Kevin Kincaid. Fun list. Mine's better. Uh, do you remember <laughs> these are things that happened on this day, June 6th? You'll find out next on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN.
0: Now, Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, do you remember these things that
1: happened on this day, June 6th? You guys remember this one. Alan Iverson, step over. Tyron Lue. Only the second time in NBA Finals history. Two opposing players scored 40 or more points in the same game. Iverson, 48. Shaq Easel at 44. Game one of the one Finals, Philly, 107. Lakers, 101 in overtime. It's the only loss the Lakers had the entire playoff run. Iverson steps over Lou. Oh, he's too good. And then they never won another game.
5: You know, Shaq's going to have that post-game concert after one of the Phillies games. Uh, would you ever go to a Shaq DJ contest?
1: I did see that. No, I have no interest. Shaq. You're out. DJ contest. No, but uh, everything but the chip was on again last night. Have you caught it yet?
5: I have caught it because I DVR'd
1: it. it oh, great. you watched it? Yes. Pretty good, right?
5: I thoroughly enjoyed it. I liked the fact of the way they laid it out and kind of gave you... They weaved in everyone's perspectives from Larry Brown, Billy King... Pat Croce, Alan Iverson. I loved Alan's candor in a lot of those segments. I thought he was, I, to me, he was the star. Not just because he was the star of the team, but because of the fact that he really uh, opened up about certain
1: things. Yeah, so on this day, uh, the Sixers, it's the last time today, 2001, June 6th, it is the last time the Sixers have won an NBA Finals game. It's a long time. <laughs> I think Sixers
5: would be happy with winning a conference finals game at this point.
1: That's right. Uh, all right. Tomorrow night, game three of the NBA finals. We'll have that for you right here on 97.3 ESPN. Friday, make plans to stop on by happy hour Friday. I'll be over at the LPGA right outside McGinnigan's 19th hole. So stop out and see me on Friday. By the way, Jacob DeGrom, season over. Tommy John Surgery. John Surgery. Yeah. And that poor guy just can't stay healthy. Phil's tonight. Um I think Phil's a win. I think so too. Go Phil. That'll be four in a row. We got stuff on James Harden tomorrow. Flyers Big Trade. We're on that on our website. Have a great night, everybody.